Hello and welcome to episode 131 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And in honor of our impressions of Monster Hunter Generations later in the show, we are calling this episode <clears throat> Talking About My Generations. So, uh, yeah, so like I said, that's that's later in the show. You've been playing it, Angel, and I guess you have things to say about it. Not for you. All right. Cool, but uh, in addition to that, this episode is also going up during Gamescom weekend. Over in Europe, it is currently Gamescom, and there's actually nothing of note going on at Gamescom, which is weird, but uh, I actually take that back. It's not entirely true. Fact of the matter is, um, Nintendo didn't really have anything new at this year's show, so we're kinda, instead of covering Gamescom, we're going to cover the lack of things to cover, in the sense of, like, why is this becoming the norm for trade shows? Why is it more and more often that... Nintendo just drops trailers out of the blue or does a Nintendo Direct out of blue and less about, like, why, what happened to the, the trade show as we know it. But that's not to say there's not news to discuss, too. So in other parts of the show, we're going to um, have more to say about Pokemon, including Sun and Moon and Pokemon Go. We have July MPD sales numbers. numbers excuse me. We have a look at why EA doesn't even support Nintendo anymore. We're also going to reflect on Metroid's 30th anniversary by sharing our favorite games in the series, plus those uh, Monster Hunter impressions that we named the episode after. So all that's coming up. There are timestamps on on the blog post for this episode to find the segments that interest you. But before any of that, we should get caught up on all the latest NX news and rumors. And with the last episode kind of being like what the NX is as a system, according to rumors, and what its power will be, this episode turns the focus kind of more towards those supposed detachable controllers and what those are and what those could be. So it all stems from, to just jump right in, I guess, it all stems from a uh, set of freshly published patents by Nintendo that kind of build on top of what we already knew about the NX, and I feel like, I feel like the timing of these patents, which are literally about controllers that clip on, it's one of those, like, when there's smoke, there's fire, or where there's smoke, there's fire situations, like, where are the odds that Eurogamer comes out with this rumor that we talked about last episode, and then literally the next week a patent goes public? about essentially the exact same concept. So do these patents mention whether they are wireless or... Oh, they are wireless. They are... I will walk you through them. They are not just wireless. They don't have electronics in them. It's interesting. It uses... It, it's very interesting. But a quick refresher from last episode for those who maybe missed it or aren't caught up on what the NX patent is, your, or the NX rumors are, Eurogamer said in a report that the NX is going to be this handheld device. You hook it into a base station to use on your TV if you want the bigger screen, and the controls on the side of the device will actually pop off in some way. So you can play, you know, as a self-contained device, like a kind of like a Wii U gamepad, or you can put to a TV and then use the controllers remotely and control it that way. Or you can even do multiplayer on the little screen with the controllers being segmented off and, you know, people share a screen. So at that time... It was kind of confusing as to what the controllers would be, how they would look. You made a really good point, like, how you do something like Smash if you have, like, two eyes of a controller and neither of them... You know, like, you can't do multiplayer Smash, I think is what you're saying, right? Because, like, how would it work if you have, like, a I stick mean, and a button? Nintendo tried to make using two Wiimotes work, but that... It, it doesn't. No. And I tried for so long to... Uh, oh, no, I didn't do Wiimote only. I did Wiimote Nunchuck. When Smash, remember when Brawl came out, I was like, but that's the, the native controls for the system. You have, like, if I'm going to play Smash on Wii, I'm going to play it with the Wii controls. And then a year and a half later, I finally came to my senses. It should be noted that some people have had pretty good success with Wiimote Nunchuck, but it's definitely... No one's had good success with just Wiimote, though, right? No. They, <laughs> they, there just aren't enough buttons, and the location is just not... Right. I mean, it's just not optimized for it. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 
the games just weren't designed for that. No, they weren't. And that's and that's what you were saying, I think, last episode when you were like, how, how does this even work? So the patent doesn't actually – it kind of addresses that because it doesn't say what the shape of the controller will be. But it goes into like a lot of detail about how these controllers will work and what they'll look like and what they'll – in terms of like um, clipping in and what they'll do. This is all assuming this patent is in fact going to be applied to the NX. But the timing is just too perfect to not be at least worth looking at. So – Unlike the Eurogamer rumor, the patent actually keeps all says that the uh, processing power of the system is in the system, not in the controllers. We went down this whole thing last time about this this grand idea, like oh, you could just keep jerry rigging controllers to get more and more power for the system if it's if the brains in the controller, like Eurogamer said. In this case, the controllers, according to the patent, again, if the patent ends up being reality, is uh, they are nothing more than plastic shells. They are there's no electronic components, there's no circuitry. The usual concept of a game controller is, you know, you press a button, it presses some sort of little pad that has an electric thing that triggers. That like sends a circuit. It. Right, yeah. exactly. That doesn't exist. Instead, the controller is just a husk of a controller, and the system where you slot in the controller actually has an infrared camera combined with a distance sensor and some other readers. And what it will do is this camera will monitor the movement of special painted pieces under the buttons that come down. So what we'll see is there's a, the, the buttons will be coded in whatever it is that infrared can read, and it will 60 times per second scan, and it will, which is basically 60 frames per second, as in there will be no lag. Um, it will scan and see exactly which is pressed down, which is pressed up. So instead of the game being coded as, you know, I press circuit, I press A button, A button's registered, game reads A button as A button pressed, it would go, things get lowered in this configuration, Games, games coded to understand this configuration of things coming down like that means this. So it's kind of a different approach, but it allows them to pop in and out the controllers without having to worry about a couple things. Like, there's no concern about them breaking. They're disposable in a way. Like, I wouldn't say once you're done playing Smash for four hours, you throw away the controller I mean, clip, <laughs> but... They're, they are somewhat disposable. Sounds like it'd be really easy to replace them. Well, I mean, it sounds like it'd be really cheap to replace them. Right. It's like, it's like one of those things that, like, But they you also know. sound very weird. I don't know. I really well, want to see them in action. Well, in theory, the way the patent describes it, it would be no different than a real controller. You would still press in, and it would still, you know, press in. Like, the outside would look the same. It's just well, I mean, inside, instead of reading a circuit, it would read an infrared. No, yeah, I mean, as far as we're concerned, we're probably not going to notice any change. I mean, yeah. they're obviously testing this. I mean, they've had, I don't know... 30 years yeah so more they they obviously know what a control is supposed to feel like so right. i don't i have no doubt that they're gonna make it work well, and i'm sure there's gonna be like a stopping point inside the shell where it's like the button can't go any further down and but it's I not think, like you're, it's not like you're gonna press it's gonna feel hollow it'll just literally on the inside be and hollow. i just realized that i've played with i guess technology similar to this before I, I used to have a mouse that was the it was just plastic the mouse had no like no electric components inside or anything but as long as it was on top of this, um, it was a little bamboo tablet. Yeah. So it's just a drawing tablet, but it doesn't have a screen on it. It's just a drawing tablet. As long as the mouse was on top of this tablet, it would register the clicks, but there's nothing in the mouse. And it yeah. would register all the movements, but if you picked up the mouse and clicked around, nothing would happen. It's and basically that. I, and I was wondering, like, oh, I guess it's Magnus? Uh, yeah, it would basically be that, but um, it'd be sideways. So the camera, the way it's shown in the patent is it's like, take a tablet, carve a hole on the top of an iPad, and then shoot a little infrared beam out of that hole, like, straight down the, so, you know, flat against the tablet. So I guess that means... Um, if if this is real. Theoretically, if, yeah, if this was the case, you can't... 
play with your hands like hidden under a blanket or something like that, right? No, you could. Why wouldn't you be able to? Infrared doesn't need oh, natural yeah, yeah, light. Yeah, also, yeah. when you clip the thing in, um, the infrared would be self-contained within the thing. It would just have to shoot a little distance from within the clip. So again, it's not like the controller's remotely... I guess I should have made that clear. It's not like the controller's remotely floating somewhere else. You clip it in, and that becomes part of the main unit. But the way it's reading the thing is just infrared instead of circuits. So you don't actually... You don't have to actually, like, pair anything or, like, connect anything more than just a thing into a slot. Like, there's no, like, plug. There's, it's not like the Wiimote where, you know, we plug in the nut chicken and there's literally a plug that goes into a socket. It would just be a socket that you throw the control into and it's there and it's done. And well, Nintendo it. just showed to us already. But yeah, it'd be nice. But I mean, I think I think this would, if they were Ghost Rod, it makes sense because they're going more kid-friendly again and this allows for kids to throw it around without any worry. Like, oh, you know, it's like the nunchuck. The nunchuck was basically hollow and you could throw that thing around like nothing and it was no big deal. But if the brains of the well, system... Well, to the Wiimote, to everything else, like well, yeah. on the TVs and yeah. all the things that broke. Yeah, that's... Well, the Wiimote broke. The nunchuck didn't break anything. Oh, you're right. That's you're my right. point. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. they go that route. And also, there's the fact that... Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, putting the brains of a device into the controller. We didn't really talk about it last time, but it has a lot of issues. Let's say you have kids. And let's say your kid runs away with your controller. There goes your whole system. You can't play the system because the controller's hidden in a bathtub or something. Or like... You know, if you damage the controller or lose the controller, you don't have a system to play. So this way makes more sense. And it kind of, like I mentioned the nunchuck thing, it kind of reminds me of the Wii Remote's many add-ons. Like, I think this is advantage number two of this idea, and I'm pretty sure it's more of an advantage for Nintendo than it is for us. And that's that Nintendo can go crazy with plastic again. Now, for us, that sucks as consumers because that means you have to buy all these dumb controller, gimmicky controller add-ons. But for Nintendo, plastic was a huge part of the Wii and completely vanished for the most part with the Wii U. So, you know, the Wii had the Wii Wheel, the Wii Zapper, the, the Nunchuck, like I said, the uh, the Classic Controller, the Classic Controller Pro, the Motion Plus, and all those ridiculous third-party things that make it look like a tennis racket and a baseball bat and whatever. Those made Nintendo a lot of money. They were able to basically double dip on people because they'd get them to buy the Wii and then buy the accessory to play Mario Kart or buy the Zapper to play Zelda, uh, Link's Crossbow Training or whatever. And that com- that market was gone with the Wii U because it's just, here's the gamepad, and I guess if you want a con- traditional controller, here's a traditional controller, and that was it. But plastic's their thing. They always do plastic. So this, in theory, would let them do plastic again. And I don't think as many variants are going to exist as with the Wii. I don't even know how that humanly be possible. I don't know how the Wii had, like, 12 different accessories. But it does give Nintendo the ability to... uh, The flexibility, I should say, to make controllers simple, complicated, anywhere in between, customize them for certain games, make... Bundle a type of controller with a game. The patent actually showed that they don't have to be buttons on these controllers. They gave an example of a knob that you twist, and then inside the controller piece, a thing rotated. And the rotations were painted in a certain way that the infrared could scan it. Because like I was saying with the idea that, like, the circuits, you press A. The, you, you say, I'm pressing A, and then the circuit reads, A button has been pressed, and tells the game, A button has been pressed. And then the game goes, good, A equals this. I am now going to jump. Like, that whole mindset can be coded to be anything that the infrared shape chooses to read. So That's if you have exciting. A, it definitely opens the door cool, to right? a lot of different bundle types of programming Again, or just yeah. input that, I mean, obviously we have never right. thought of before. I mean, they gave an example of a knob in the patent where, like, you spin the knob and it turns basically a little, like, pinwheel-looking thing inside oh, it. Man. And the infrared reads that. But it could be, like, 
a lever. I could see them releasing like a bop it version of yeah. um, WarioWare for this thing where you it just would... have like a bunch of little plastic thingamabobs in front of you. And then when the meaning comes up, it says like twist it. You have to find the knob and twist it. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else that would be. Flick it's, it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it is, it is a cool concept. And the, and the interesting thing about the infrared is it doesn't, like the infrared, I, I just find it so kind of like it throws the idea of like input on its head, but the infrared literally is reading the press down sh- or the shape. So any game can be code to read any shape, which means literally anything can be done with this plas- excuse me, with this plastic as long as it has some sort of shape for the infrared to read. It's a, it's a, like a really different way of approaching game input, but it's kind of cool. Hopefully, it means. Um, Hopefully it means they don't go too crazy though, because like you were saying, WarioWare could come with like a bunch of different boppet things. But what if like every game was like, oh, this one you're gonna need four buttons, so here's a four button ad. And, oh, this other one, uh, for Zelda, we want to have a crossbow string you pluck. So we made a crossbow string that you hook in. Like it could get a little ridiculous pretty quickly. But uh, I think, cause I'm tight. I think oh, it does specifically address your Smash concern though. Like they can just make a controller that will work with Smash. Great. So that means, if I'm, well, <laughs> I mean, again, it's well, not, actually, actually, that's not if they necessarily make a bad cars. thing because if I'm taking, if I want to play it portable, then I'd probably play with the default controls. If they're stuck on the sides, maybe combined they make a normal controller. Well, they would. All these would be stuck on the side. Like all. Oh these yeah, things, that's yeah, All these things would hook in. But I guess if I'm playing elsewhere, I guess I would have this dedicated thing. But presumably, I mean, in a perfect world, I would just stick with one controller and I have to switch back and forth between things. Yeah, that that's the problem with this. Especially because like, they're most likely going to make a classic controller pro. Well, not even controller, a classic controller, a controller pro or the Wii U controller pro, whatever. Or I guess a GameCube. Yeah. They probably just make a GameCube controller that is completely compatible with this infrared stuff. In some way, yeah. Yeah. Although, but again, how would that work if you're playing it on the handheld? Like... Well, I guess you would have to put the game on your lap and just play. They need an elaborate series of mirrors if they want no, well, to like, like, hook in a normal That's it. When you're playing on yeah. the handheld, there is pretty much just like, all right, well, you're playing you this in a portable set and you just use the console itself. You know what's interesting is they actually, I mean, like, if you think this is an amount of detail, like, I'm not, I'm not pulling this idea out of thin air that they just want to, like, keep piling on plastic. They're looking at all these different ways to sell more plastic because that's easy profit. I mean, Amiibo, obviously, are the literal, I mean, or the Fit most literal example of that. at one point. Yeah, we Fit, the balance board, that's a $100 piece of plastic, basically. But um, but beyond those, there's another patent that came out in tandem with this one. I'm going to circle back to what you're saying about, like, the um, different control options. There was a patent that came out that's even more granular, granular than this one, the idea of, like, having a modular system where you literally swap out plastic. Nintendo Life found this patent where, um, I think it came out, like, last week, but it's from 2013. And basically, it was a handheld unit, and in the four corners, you know, where the control sticks, the face buttons, and the D-pad would be, those were basically like little trays you pop out. When you take out the tray, you can then pop off each individual control input. It's like the Xbox One Elite controller. Like, you want four analog sticks? Just take off the face buttons, plop extra analog sticks on, and slot them back in, and you have four analog sticks. Like, the amount of, like, plastic that Nintendo's trying to push, or I, I keep saying it like it's a bad thing. The idea of customizable control to this infinite degree is something Nintendo actually seems kind of interested in. But to bring it back to what you were saying about different controllers, I think even ignoring the patent Nintendo Life found, which is interesting, just kind of proves Nintendo's looking at plastic um, or looking at customization. Even doing what the original patent suggested with the infrared, um, I it feels kind of convoluted. Like, 
the Wii, I feel like, was as far as Nintendo could push their luck with getting people to keep swapping controllers and building controllers and moving controllers. Like, it's kind of a thing. It's kind of annoying for a casual person who's used to just playing in their iPhone to be told, oh, hey, you want to play this game? Just pop out that one controller. Pop in this other controller. Oh, but you're playing on TV? Wire it to the third controller, which somehow still works with the first. Like, you know what I mean? There's a barrier of entry that this creates because it's just so complicated. It was, but some of it was really cool. And. I'm surprised it wasn't until Rumble that we didn't get the, I guess, daisy chaining two people together right, with a right. controller. Yeah, and maybe we're just used to the idea of having all this hot swapping. But, like, yeah, because the, the Wii cool, U even has a lot of control options. I mean, I would definitely prefer to have One as few controllers as yeah. possible. I mean, just... Think back to GameCube, like that was a time when or we even, had yeah. one controller, N64, or I guess anything before the Wii. It and while it's nice, I mean, the Wii had to have its simple controller to get the Blue Ocean, and then they needed the classic controller to get the people that wanted more buttons. But then it's also going to have a Smash Brothers, so it had to have yeah. a GameCube controller. They kind of, I mean, it, on one hand, it, it's like, oh, play how you want, which is cool. They made the but, Wii remote into a Swiss Army knife, essentially. Yeah, but, but I mean, it, I mean, no one made me also get every controller just because I wanted true. to have like four Wii modes for custom controller pros and what have you. Yeah. And and I feel like the, the potential issue here is at least with your situation with the Wii and how you have four of every controller and whatnot, you kind of knew what you were getting into. And it was like, okay, the core system is still just the Wii remote. Everything else you want to do on top of that, you know you're doing on top of that. If they go this infrared route, I feel like they're going to push the thing that you're saying about, like, WarioWare, where it's like, oh, hey, this game comes with a lever. Pop that in. It's just like, how much hot swapping are they going to expect us to do? Like, it's a cool concept until you think about the fact that Intel milks plastic like mad. There are over 100 Amiibo. Like, if they do that with controls, and the controls don't have circuits, which means they're really cheap for them to come up with new ideas and make more. Like, I can't see parents being like, okay, Timmy, we're going to the airport. Bring all 20 controllers so you can make sure you can play your game properly. (laughs) Like, it just gets a little daunting at least the potential is there for them to be a little cheaper because yes. these controllers definitely got expensive like yes if you pro controller was almost 60 bucks that's already the price of a wii u game and yeah it's, it's, right it gets pricey i mean if if they were to do this if this patent which again it lines up too well with your gamer yeah, to not at least be game. part I mean, of it ps4 controllers are ridiculously expensive yeah if they were to do this, it would very nicely play into the NX is going to be cheaper than you expect angle. Because, like, oh, you get this $200 tablet and you get these $10 controllers and that's it. Like, the NE, the NES Classic Edition, the controllers, the extra controllers are 10 bucks. They're already kind of saying the mindset for those cheap controllers if they were to do something like that. But it is – we – I feel like we – or at least me when I keep talking about how Nintendo is plastic and building this into this grandiose thing that they're probably not going to do. Like, they might have swappable controllers, but it might be a few, but I can't – Shake. I know I kind of said this, but I can't shake the feeling that once they realize how easy it is to make these controllers switchable, they're just, or controls switchable, they're just going to keep pumping them out. But oh, we'll yeah, see. You know we're going to have like a Mario version, a Luigi yep. version, just yep. like we got. Yep. Pretty but much see, that's not that character. crazy, because it's not changing no, 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 functionality. No, 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 no that's cool. That's more like yeah, Game Boy Micro at that point. It's just yeah. like further customize it. You yeah. have the controller you want to play, but now I get the version of that controller you like you to know, play. You know, you raise a really interesting point. There was a period, I want to say there's a one of the financial court, one of the financial briefings from Iwata when he was still alive or something like that, where they're talking about like Nintendo's focus going forward is you, like the individual. Like my Nintendo's about you, Mitomo is about you, everything's you. That idea that you can just pop off the controllers and pop on a Mario themed one or pop on basically faceplates for like parts yeah, of the NX, um, that could be big. 
I mean, they could even have that for the NX itself, and we got faceplates for the new 3DS, yeah. so why not have it for the console yeah, itself, it, especially if it's portable? Now, the faceplates never really caught on here in the West because Nintendo didn't let them, well, or yeah, here in the U.S., but, but I mean, in Japan, they're pretty popular, so it, you, you might well, be yeah, onto something. But, I mean, maybe they could just yeah. bring them over for this thing. The one the one thing that Considering was, now they're investing in something that's both their handheld and... Right, it's an easy way to make money, which again brings me back to... Um, of course, assuming this is all true. Right, so, yeah. right. But again, it's one of those where there's smoke, there's fire. Like, one Eurogamer here, some sources are detachable controllers, then boom, a patent for exactly that pops up. It's a little too convenient. Oh, man, I would love for all this to be completely wrong. It would, You know what? It would still be fun in like two years to come back and listen to this and be like, boy, we were off base. Or if you're a listener, to be like, boy, those guys are idiots. I wouldn't call ourselves idiots, but an outsider can. Well, we never promoted any of this to be true. Yeah, I, mean, I think I've said like five times over the course of the conversation, if it's true, if it lines up, da, da, da. But if if it's true, one thing we do need to keep in mind is we're only talking about the handheld here. How would that work with a TV? The patent doesn't cover that. So if I put the gamepad, the gamepad, if I put the NX in its dock, assuming that's true, and we're playing on the TV, assuming that's a possibility, um, what, where do those controller pieces go? They can't stay on the unit because... They or need they to. Can. They can't. Well, how you control it away from the unit? There's You're a separate gonna, controller. I don't know. Or is there gonna be like? Is it gonna come with like a home remote? And then you that's just, what I'm. Thinking. I'm thinking there's literally gonna be a little thin remote that that has just a home button in the middle, and then you just pop the controllers in on the side, and this little thin remote has the infrared cameras in it, and you basically build a controller every time you want to play it at home. Mm-hmm. Which again almost feels like it's too much effort for the casual. Like if I go home that, with my NX, yeah. I'm like, oh. I want to continue playing Breath of the Wild. Let me just, like, build a transformer with my controller real quick. Like, it just seems... Granted, it's only two clicks and it'd be dumb. I could see it. I don't know. I guess having a separate remote that's just one piece of plastic. Yeah. That's just separate. That just comes with it anyway. Yeah. Like, it probably comes with one. It's like, oh, we'll sell more. But But let's say they do that. Then opening a whole can of worms here. What about the WarioWare you spoke of where it comes with levers and pulleys? Can you only play that way? <laughs> can you only, can you only work the WarioWare assembly line game when it's um like well, on a handheld? Well, when I you're mean, at home they made peripherals that are literally only for one game. No, but my point is, no, like, that's why, like, do I'm... they give you a home and an away version? Of no, that's why. Right. What, what I, I mean, for this WarioWare, what is it called? WarioWare... Assembly line. Uh, yeah, WarioWare assembly line. Um... <laughs> Or Nix and Nax. Um, they Ooh, were... that, that is totally what they would call it. It'd be WarioWare Mix and Match, yeah. Um, I assume that game would just come in the box and you would just come... It would come with all those things. And so that's all, get, and so that's all that would be used for. So they'd have to make a home and an away kit, basically. And that's all that would be used for. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it would only be used for that, but they would have to give you it would, both it would a come remote. In a, 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 it would come in a little baggie of Yeah, sorts. and they, I guess they give you a separate like and a... Satchel. A, like a, a self-contained, when you're playing on the TV, version of the pulleys and levers and then a the one you slot in that just seems so messy uh yeah. see and that gets confusing because the whole thing with the Wii remote but then is, you can't play this on the go but we suggest you or you can't play, play it at home but at you're home. gonna have to sit and inch from your tv and play it in the dock or yeah it's weird i think whatever that if they do if this is all true whatever that home center thing that the controls would pop into if they have like a unit it's probably gonna, i would imagine it's interface through bluetooth or something which means it's gonna get hacked apart like the Wii remote was which is kind of cool but yeah it's it's an interesting it's all a very interesting concept, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like we don't quite know enough. There is one other aspect of the patent actually that's worth mentioning though, and it's not the, it's interesting because it's not just this modular controller idea that Nintendo keeps playing with. They also have been really milking this infrared idea for a while, which makes me think it's also probably true. I think both these are true to some degree simply because a company doesn't have this many patents for a thing they never 
do anything with. You know what I mean? Like, why waste the the R&D if you know it's a dead end? So something's coming with these. It's just a matter of what. But in addition to the modularity, like I said, the infrared idea is kind of being used heavily. That camera is something Nintendo's been toying for a while. There was a patent, I want to say like a year ago maybe, where, I don't know if you remember this, but it was a patent for a tablet control, a tablet game device. And then it would shoot infrared out of the four sides, like straight out. And then you can basically use gestures alongside the tablet to interact with what's going on on the tablet. Oh, geez. So, like, you know, you have it fly on the table, and then it, you're, like, pressing things to the left and right, and that's causing things to happen in-game. They're going to have their own version of Simon. Well, I don't think I don't think they're going that route, per se. I think that then led to what's included in this patent. The one with the controller clip-ons. And that is, those infrared cameras can not just read the controllers, it can also read your hand. You can do gestures. They're going to have an alternative controller that's not a controller, it's just your hand. So it's going to no, be literally, like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's going to be like the U-Force <laughs> or whatever that yeah. thing for the NES was called. Or, or like a power glove without the glove. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you think, I know you're saying it like, oh, they're probably going to have it. I'm like, no, it's in the patent. Literally, mm. they show a mock-up where a guy's playing rock, paper, scissors, and the infrared camera is able to determine the shape his hand is making and properly read it you can also do swiping gestures and other things i mean like of course that. i mean they judge distance as well they need that for warrior hands free or whatever they're gonna call they already it had that on the dsi it was warrior snap they did do that yeah and it barely worked but uh, it did work but yeah it's so i think i guess what it all boils down to it's like it's a cool idea right some of this it just seems like we're we're grasping we're, we're getting half truths right now i feel like like i think the fact that you know, between what we saw last, what we talked about last episode, what Eurogamers heard, and then you know, IGN, Kotaku, and Wall Street Journal all confirmed they've heard the same thing. Well, with that, with what the NX is, is this hybrid device combined with like what we're seeing about this modularity for controls and the infrared and whatnot. There seems to be this, these through lines that guarantee that whatever the NX is, it's going to be some sort of hybrid that interfaces both on you know you can use both on the go and on TV. It's going to have some sort of controllers that do some sort of pop on and off or some sort of modularity or customization. And there's going to be some sort of infrared technology in there. Those three, to me, feel like the most likely things about the NX. It's form factor, what the controllers actually do, what you do with the infrared in terms of gestures, those, who knows. But it seems like those three things combined in some sort of way could end up being whatever the gameplay innovation hook that we don't know about the NX is. That that could be the hook. They will somehow combine to this weird thing that only Nintendo can come up with, and that's going to be what makes the NX more than just a tab like a tablet that has buttons, basically. Because mm. I remember last time on the podcast we made a point in the last episode. I think I don't remember which one of us made a point. One of us made the point that it's kind of like, okay, so now we know how you can play the thing, but why would you play the thing over any other system? Like, what's the gameplay innovation? Because like N sixty four introduces the control stick, we introduced motion, GameCube did something. The <laughs> GameCube was them trying to just N64, be PS two, yeah, so. and it didn't do super hot as a result. Like every system that the DS had touch screens and dual screens, every system Nintendo puts out, they try. At least these these ones that are like every couple generations are like, oh, we're reinventing the wheel. They try and do some sort of new gameplay thing. Some some feature in the system actually influences its games in a direct way. NX, all the rumors do not show what that is. So the question becomes, will these three things combine into that? Or maybe, does it need a hook? Are we at the point where you can just say, here's a Nintendo machine that plays Nintendo games, like the one you have on your phone but fancier, like the one you played on the Wii but now more modernized, go to it? Like, does it need... 
the motion control equivalent, the analog stick equivalent, the rumble pack equivalent, something game changing? I don't I don't know. Well, that's the thing. We never do know. Um, they always happens. give us things that we don't know we want. For the most part, people seem satisfied with... I mean, and I'm also satisfied with, like, oh, give, give me another Mario Luigi. Give me another Paper right. Mario. Give me another Galaxy, another Midget Prime. Like, things that I'm familiar with that I know I will enjoy. I mean, we don't really need but then, but this then, innovation. But yeah. they still throw us these curveballs that we never knew existed, which are always awesome. But I, th- I think part of the reason that... I don't know. I think part of the reason that... Um, so I think that could work. They need to basically. throw those... Yeah. Yeah, I think part. I, only, I was just gonna say. I think part of the reason that the curveballs are needed, though, is like the 3ds and the Wii. U. Okay, not the Wii. U. That's a bad example because it's the gamepad. We'll go with the 3ds. Speaking of curveballs, I'm wait, jealous of Europe for getting Mario Baseball. I want it now. It'll come soon. We we already have. Oh no, we don't. We don't have Super Sluggers on. No, we don't. Virtual console. I'm sure. I mean, baseball season's underway. I'm sure. Like around the time of the playoffs, they'll release it. Maybe. I'm sure that they possibly may consider releasing a game at a particular time that may or may not be baseball playoff season in, in uh, October or September. Maybe they'll do it for the World Series. Mm. Obviously, the game's ported and ready to go if it's going oh, yeah. to so. mm, but, but what I was going to say about curveballs is to your point where you're saying that um, you know, you're happy to just have the new, this game, that game, and the next game. That's what they basically did with 3DS. The curveball in that one was supposed to be the 3D effect, but hasn't changed gameplay in any dramatic way, really. And the AR on 3DS kind of was a bust. But well, the that's 3DS thing. Like, I mean, I'm happy with them, but I mean, I right. definitely like welcome and expect like these. Oh yeah, yeah. Curveballs. Like, I mean, we all want them, but yeah. I mean, we know. I mean, like, I haven't had any qualms with any 3DS game. No, see, I like the had. 3DS a lot, but if you look at the 3DS compared to the DS, which was the biggest curveball you can imagine, two screens. What? What? Like a touchscreen before touchscreens were a thing of mass production? Like what? But I mean, they were on PDAs and Palm Pilots and stuff, but they weren't like a thing in the way that the DS used them. Uh, my point was though. I mean, the, the 3DS, 3DS definitely DS... helped make, at least for me, um, it made 3D almost feel like a standard format for yes. a lot of things that I watch. Like, oh, if it's yes, not, like, yes. like if it's not in 3D, it almost feels. I mean, it feels inferior. Like it has right. to be in 3D. But I think the the thing I was going at, getting at with all that, I mean, yeah, in some cases that's probably true. But 3DS sold is currently at less than half of, or no, just about half what the DS sold in its lifetime. Yikes! It still sold 60 million, 60 million. That's not bad. But DS, or no, it's less than half. DS is at 150 million. 3DS is at 58, 62, something like that million. Well, so I Nintendo mean, needs that curveball to smartphones get the didn't exist up. during that time either. That's true. So I mean, it's not necessarily one. I mean, person. I mean, you could definitely blame the lack of, I guess, curveball. More, in, yeah, the lack of more curveballs, yeah, or more impactful curveballs than just 3D. But the smartphone generation definitely did not. That's help. true. No, it did not. And I think you know, as we've seen with Nintendo embracing smartphones and now using them as a marketing tool, Pokemon Go being the prime example of that. Even though Nintendo didn't do it themselves, we'll talk about that later in the show. But um, yeah, I think it shows that Nintendo realizes that's the case and is adapting. That's also, I think, why we don't have a dedicated handheld anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, think it almost, is... this almost feels like a smarter move because this way it's like, oh, it's not just our dedicated handheld, it's also yep. our console. So we're not really like yeah. alienating either. Yeah. And also they are planning, according to Eurogamer, uh, Which to means appeal that... to smartphone people as a way to be like, oh, you want a little more than a smartphone? Here's an affordable option that also has some of the most famous video game characters known to anyone that's also kind of cool to think that assuming um nintendo still has their contract with capcom that will finally get a monster hunter on console since it'll yep. be on it'll be on the yeah, 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 yeah. oh they're for sure keeping that that deal in place i mean 
spoilers for the later half of the show, Monster Hunter was the number one selling game in July. So we'll get to that when we talk MPD. But my point is, it's doing better than... It's... Yeah, it's doing better than it's done. It, not raw numbers, but it actually sold worse than the last version. But it's number one, which is more of a PR spin. Well, it's to be expected. I mean, it's, it's not a full sequel. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean. But, um, but yeah, NX will be interesting. <laughs> to kind of, that's my that's my uh, summary of everything we just talked about. NX is going to be interesting. It's supposed to be, uh, rumor has it, revealed next month in September. So literally within the next two to three episodes of this show, we should, in theory potentially oh, really? wow. maybe have an actual conversation about an actual NX. Because it's fun as it is to our imagination run wild. Sometimes facts are good too. Well, at this point, I'm kind of just yeah. frustrated with rumors. I just want to know yeah. what it is. Yeah, but rumors are like... I'm completely... tired of speculating. Just want to see it. But rumors are where dominating the Nintendo world right now, so... Well, because that's all we about. have. Yeah, exactly, we literally exactly. haven't heard anything official about the NX. Nope. But it, it would make sense for them to reveal it in September. That's when they revealed the Wii Remote was right around the time of uh, Tokyo Game Show, separate from Tokyo Game Show back in 2005, but around the same time. So if they do the same thing for NX, that would mean mid-September. Also, they've used mid-September in the past to reveal, like, the Wii U launch strategy and a whole bunch of other things around that time over the years. So hmm. I think that rumor is probably true. But but if it makes you feel better, there are some actual facts about NX that have come out, namely one, and as we have one more game to add to the NX lineup officially, uh, Square Enix confirmed... For real now, sort of, that Dragon Quest Ten is coming to Wait, the sort of. Uh, sort of, because if you remember when they first confirmed it, it was by accident, where he was like at the press conference talking about Dragon Quest Ten, Dragon Quest Eleven. He's like, oh yeah, they're coming to NX. And then like the next day, Square Enix is like, they're not. So this time around, um, the producer of the of Dragon Quest Ten, which is the MMO that's already out on Wii, Wii U, and PC in Japan, uh, he was talking with Famitsu about how they accommodate server load for players. And he just casually mentioned over the course of the interview, like, oh, yeah, when new players join with the PS4 and NX versions, once they come out, we're going to need to beef that up. So it wasn't like a, hey, guys, it's happening. It was just kind of like, yeah, there's an NX version, and we're going to have to plan for it. So oh, you, you didn't know? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, it was basically boy. like that. It was like that. But they didn't retract it afterwards. They just oh, yeah. let it go. So there we go. Well, we yeah, have I mean, now. He's a professional. He's exactly. not going to get panicked. He's just well, gonna... no, I meant his PR didn't come out the next day, oh. or, or, or uh, Square Enix didn't strike it down when they got, like, the interview so how many games i mean for lack of a better term have been officially not through nx at this point four games we have zelda breath of the wild project sonic 2017 just dance 2017 yeah and um now dragon quest 10 and interestingly that lineup but 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 there's a few other things it has has zelda in there though uh, ubisoft said they are going to be announcing a few surprise titles closer to launch uh, rumor is Activision's working on stuff. Rumor is, uh, nope, that was not a rumor. That's confirmed. Sega is working on stuff with Sonic. Um, I believe Capcom's a shoe in at this point. They are very close with Nintendo with Monster Hunter. And Ace um, Attorney. And Ace Attorney. Uh, ooh, Ace Attorney would be kind of cool if it was on the NX. Yeah, I did enjoy playing it on the TV. Um, yeah, with the Wii version, right? Yeah, well, it was just the port of the Game Boy. Yeah, but... No, the DS version. That's what I meant. The, the Wii upscale. Yeah. The, the Wii... Shop channel version. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even upscaled. It was, <laughs> it was yeah, what's this yeah, upscale? It was just yeah, yeah zoomed in. But, but but yeah, so Ubisoft might be cooking up something. Actors is probably bring Skylanders. Also, there could be a second Dragon Quest coming. Um, a reporter for Dual Shockers during Gamescom was able to talk to the producer of Dragon Quest Builders, which is the Minecraft 
Quest-esque Dragon Quest spinoff. Basically, I threw on a quick glance that it looked exactly it like looks Minecraft. the same. I'm just being generous. But yeah, so he got the producer to admit that they're actually looking at potentially bringing it to NX as well. Um, so that means there's a potential five titles. Six if you count surprise Ubisoft game. <laughs> that, you know, for a system that we don't even know what it is, having six titles announced isn't bad. Revolution didn't have anything until it became the Wii. So, hmm. DS, when it was the codename DS, didn't have anything until it became the DS. Like, you usually don't hear about specific games until the system's known. So the fact that we're actually learning these things ahead of time. I don't think it necessarily means we're getting a lot more games or anything, but it um, it just means there's hope in some, yeah. some level. But, I mean, I guess those systems also weren't in a rush state to get out no no they were not it wasn't panic i mean they were like yeah they, they were in their normal cycles or five six years or whatever well you could argue the wii wasn't a bit of a rush which is probably why it was announced in 2011 even well, yeah but that was because i remember 12 yeah like the wii sales were dropping like we quickly the wii it just kind of bubble like, burst yeah yeah but yeah so i'd be curious to see who else comes on board with nx besides the publishers we know i mean i think a lot of the indie guys will uh two tribes was saying they might actually not make rive for Wii U, but make it for NX instead, because that's where the audience is going. So we're going to see stuff like that. I'm sure the Rumbo guys would probably eventually make something for NX. Um, I could see Renegade Kid doing NX stuff. They're very big on Nintendo handhelds. This is sort of a handheld. Uh, Way Forward will probably have stuff, if I had to guess. But one company that I guarantee, or that we not guarantee, that as of now we're not going to be seeing is Electronic Arts. So that oh, segue no. came very naturally, actually. I wasn't even playing that segue to work out did. But yeah, we were going to talk about EA and what they're doing with Nintendo or not doing, and we just kind of fell into it. So um, Peter Moore used to be the guy that ran Sega during the Dreamcast days, was the guy that ran Xbox. He was the guy, remember when Halo 2's release date was announced as a tattoo on a guy's arm at E3? Like, he uh, rolled up his sleeve and it's like, Halo 2 in November. That was Peter Moore, and I believe he still, he claims he still has the tattoo in that very, in this very interview, but... Anyway, he now is over at EA. He headed up EA Sports for a while. Then he headed up EA as a, as a whole for a while. Now he's hanging up. Um, it's really hard for me off the top of my head to think of like what's EA's top billing franchise besides sports, like, besides sports. Battlefield, Mirror's Edge, not really. Mass Effect. That's where the list ends. Basically games I've games played. You know, yeah. But they're one but of the biggest third parties. I guess I should have known Mass Effect, but, yeah, but I always and, forget and that's I mean, EA. Frankly, they're one of the biggest third parties out there. So them... Yeah. Them it just feels like there because of sports, because yes. EA Sports. It's, just... it's, in, it's in the game, yeah. yeah. Um, and I take it back, he actually was not the head of EA itself, he's just the head of EA <gasps> Sports, I misspoke. But, um, yeah, so he is now running their competitive gaming division. They are making their own eSport world within EA. Activision is actually doing the same thing. We never really talk about it, because the eSports don't apply to Nintendo systems, like, ever. Um, let me rephrase. Their eSports don't apply to, Nintendo, apply to Nintendo systems, like, ever. Obviously, Splatoon and Smash are pretty big. Um... But yeah, so they he's at Euro, uh, he's at Gamescom. He's talking to Eurogamer. He's supposed to be talking about his competitive gaming stuff that they just announced. Instead, Eurogamer's just asking about everything because you know he's very experienced with the industry. He's been a huge part of it. He's a, kind of a figurehead at EA. And they said, "I don't know hey, what it looks like, but I know I've heard his name for many, many years." I will show you after this episode. I could try and describe him with words. We could just turn this podcast into like. <laughs> <laughs> funny. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. I can probably find a thousand words to describe Peter Moore. What's funny is that you say Peter Moore, but I always picture like Peter Molyneux always pops up in my no, head. No, 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 no. He's much more grounded and uh, living in a real world than Peter Molyneux is. 
because uh, Mon, Mon is the guy. Mon is the guy that, that like yes. doesn't exist anymore. Over promises games that that's him. End up disappointing. Oh, and Fable also guy. has the and he's a, remember remember Milo. Yes, I do. The connect. Yeah, he's right? gonna be like your little like he's gonna be a real boy except he's digital and it never even came out. Like the tech just wasn't there. I'm currently finding a picture of Pierre Moore for you. Here you go. This is Pierre Moore. You may recognize him. He is a man in his later. Uh, I don't even know how to describe him on this. I do recognize him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to Wikipedia, that that mustache. Um, it's a, it's a goatee, but okay. That mustache goatee. That goatee. He's a he's a, a slightly older gentleman, age sixty one. He's from the. Uh, he currently lives in Liverpool. He's of the British nationality. And if you couldn't tell, I am literally reading his Wikipedia. He, uh, his alma mater, he went to uh, Cal State Long Beach, which isn't very far from here, actually, and also Keele University. And he currently is the chief operating officer for EA, but or was, is, is. Yeah, oh. that's Pierre Moore. That's not describe <laughs> what he looks like in any way. <laughs> if possibly, let's see. If, if you're curious what he oh, looks oh. like, just imagine a man in a suit who's British. And that's Pierre Moore. No, but anyway, so he's they were bald, asking him about sort it. of what, and he has like stereotypical male bald pattern. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't want to like put him on. That's the not spot. a bad thing, but not it, necessarily. I yeah. mean, but it's distinctive. It is distinctive. I mean, yes. it's easier to point someone out that has one like that. Like, oh, he yeah, has it, normal looking hair. It is much easier to say he has no hair than to dance around the fact. I mean, goatee. He does have some hair. With, I mean, with the this goatee, is the, <laughs> <laughs> with the goatee and hair combo. <laughs> the Random Tale Podcast. As as I thought I knew exactly who Wait, he was. Yeah. Let's put it that the way. The Random Tale Podcast. Come for the NX rumor. Stay for the Pierre Moore hair analysis. Um, but yeah, so he, this guy with whatever hair you want to imagine. You know what? Just everyone picture him with a giant, luxurious afro. Just go with that. Like a real I'm nice. Sure he like, would. Like Questlove with the comb in it and everything. Um, anyway, he was asked about the NX because he's kind of the figure heavy EA, like I was saying, and uh, he literally responded to the question of will the N- will EA support NX with? I love that he actually said this. I don't know. <laughs> like that was his answer. He he was saying he followed that up by saying that he oh he lived through the Dreamcast launch at Sega. He's been through the ups and downs, and then he concluded with, but certainly EA has never come out and said it won't develop for Nintendo. Nothing says, I'm going to support your system like we never said we wouldn't. I don't know. So I think that might uh, I think that might mean they're not currently planning support. Your gamer How actually, unprecedented. It's funny you mentioned that because your gamer asked me about that. The unprecedented partnership. Uh, I still That was still so weird. So what was it, 2011 at E3? Wii U's being unveiled and then they bring out yep, John Riccatello. Nintendo's like, hey, here's the CEO of EA, John Riccatello. They have like the Mass Effect logo behind it. Maybe it was, no, it was EA... It was uh, E3 2012 because they already announced Mass Effect Trilogy. He comes out and they're like, we have an unprecedented partnership with Nintendo. It's going to be great. The Wii U and EA will be so close. They'll be like so intertwined. It'll be great. And then nothing happened. And so they asked Pierre Moore. They literally said the words unprecedented partnership. Like what happened with that? Why did it never materialize? And they asked if it's harder to work with Nintendo because, you know, Nintendo tends to zig while everyone else zags. And Moore's response, I'm just going to read it. Nintendo has always based its success on its first-party games because it's a brilliant first-party developer. If you ask that question to them, they'd say they have to launch with first-party software first. They have said that, actually. Uh, Iwata has said verbatim that. And then he followed that up with, that's where the first dev kits go. So basically, he's like, I don't know if we're supporting it. Uh, We didn't say we're not supporting it. We don't have dev kits. That's the takeaway I got from this. 
I feel like they must have dev kits somewhere, but he's basically like, we're not a priority to them. So they're not a priority to us. That's kind of the undertone of it, which is first off kind of funny and kind of refreshing. Like usually there's so much PR fluff around this. Like I remember take two a few weeks ago was asked the same question about NX and I, we love what Nintendo does with innovation. We're excited to see what's in store. It's like, okay, that says nothing. I thought every company. Yeah, exactly. Ever. And Pierre Morris is like, nah, he like, he's like, we're, I'm just going to nope out of this. That's one. what every company went on. I think on the Wii U, or yes. I, forget, I forgot what, there was that fizzle reel of just developers talking about the NX. Oh, you mean the behind, Wii U. behind the back background? You mean the Wii U? The Wii, whichever yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, Nintendo played it. It was always developers half which never even brought games to the system. Yeah. They were just like, oh, the Nintendo on the, on the bottom corner said like oh from Bioshock. Blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, they had Ken Levine in it, and he never. That's the Bioshock creator, and he never once. The guy made that a game reminds me it. of Charlie Day. I yes, believe. yes, he kind of does. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's funny because like. Literally a week before this interview that Pierre Moore gave, a different EA exec was talking about NX, and he was doing the whole, like, oh, Nintendo innovates so much, and, and they're great for the industry, but we can't talk until it's revealed. Which, of course, is BS, because Sega, Ubisoft, and Square Enix have all announced games for this non-existent system, so it's not like there's a non-disclosure agreement in place. Like, they could say, yeah, we're bringing Madden, and that would be fair game. But they're not, because they're not. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they're not saying it because they're not bringing it, so they're just making up excuses. So it does sound like Pierre Moore is giving a hard no on the NX, at least for now. And I can't say I'm surprised. Like, I mean, as you point out, you can't name a single EA game except sports. And sports are their bread and butter. And nobody that owns a Nintendo system seems to care about sports. Like, I, I didn't make this point. Or I, the point about bring up was actually made by Emily Rogers on Twitter. But she made a really good point. Literally no one plays sports on the Wii U. Like, sports games are a non-existent thing. Madden was out one time on Wii U. And within a month of its release, this is back when it launched, only 42 people were playing it online. The launch holiday season of the Wii U, only 42 people were playing Madden online. That's insane how low yep, that is. You're right. No sports games. Yeah, you have none. Well, well, we do have that free copy of Sports Ball. <laughs> that's not a real I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's as real as that movie by the South Park guys called Sports Ball. <laughs> like, it's not, yeah. But, um, I mean, it's not just EA. What I was going to say about sports, though, is it's not just EA. Like, do you remember we got an NBA 2K game on Wii U? We got NBA 2K13. I remember the demo yes. and thinking, why can't I play this in infrared, like, in Predator mode? Or was I, <laughs> or maybe with a Gatorade mode. It was like you could see the Gatorade right. levels or something. Oh, yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, well, it was a demo, that's why. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so they released that game on Wii U. They never released another 2K sports game on the system ever again. So it's not like it's EA's the problem. It's sports on Nintendo is the problem. So well, it just it fans don't that. care. I mean, look at us. We don't. Neither of us. You just said. I don't really see game. Nintendo as a sports thing. Exactly. I mean, when I do see a Xbox or a PS4 or a PlayStation 4 for that matter. It makes and, sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I, see. I, mean, well, I mean, it helps that I know a lot of people that play sports on that. Like, right. That's like all. Well, that's where they know. gravitate towards because that's where the online community is. But then is, again, I mean, that's go. just because it's been that way for a long time. Right. I mean, at one point, I guess Nintendo systems just stopped becoming that. Yeah, because they were the sports system. Nintendo had its own line of sports games on the N6, on the N64. They even were called N64 Sports. Yeah, had a special had, logo. Yeah, had Madden Blitz. Well, not I don't just mean that. They, they themselves made M- Ken Griffey Baseball, Kobe Bryant NBA, whatever. They brought them to GameCube a little, oh. too. Then they had the extreme stuff. They had 1080, they had oh, Wave yeah. Race. On the then they had the third-party stuff, like you said, uh, Blitz and Hits and all that. <laughs> Blitz, but, uh, Blitz. FL Blitz and NHL Hits. And some of those existed on GameCube. Acclaim brought baseball series to and GameCube. that Mario, the SSX yeah. tricky, tricky, the crossover ones where you could play as Mario with 
Yes, that was SSX NBA Street. Three. Or oh yeah, yeah, that was um yeah NBA Street Volume Three, Two, Four. They made it that far on the GameCube. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is that it used to be kind of sportsy, and then the Wii, even then, the EA did sports stuff. They made special modes that were Wii friendly, like Madden on on Wii was a big thing where they kept every year changing up these adding these new modes that were Wii exclusive, and it did well. But then when the Wii casual bubble burst. There went Madden. Yeah, there went remember, sports, and none of the core fans that are left care. I forgot what whoever makes Pro Evolution Soccer. I remember one of those came out Konami. on. I guess it was the Wii U, but I remember that whenever Pro Evolution Soccer, like whatever year it was, both Xbox and some and the PlayStation Four, PlayStation yeah. Three, whichever one it was at that time, they got the current year's version. But the Wii U, whatever Nintendo equivalent was, they just got like a. A special edition, yeah, like it was like last year's version or something like yes. that. Yes, in Europe they released PES. I believe it was on the Wii, not the Wii. Is that is that like the twilight years of the Wii's life, like the tail end? And instead of making the new game or pouring over the PS2 version, which was updated correctly, they swapped the rosters on the previous Wii version and resold it as basically yeah, yeah, a was, special it, edition of the same game. Yeah, it was called like Champions or All Stars yeah. or something like that. They swapped the the year number and then just kept the rest of the name. But yeah, it was that was a mess. So the sports angle makes sense. I get why EA wouldn't do it. No one seems to care about sports on Nintendo. And I don't think, unless Nintendo starts making their own sports games again, I don't see how that's going to turn around. But what kind of bothers me about this EA decision is there are EA tiles that would, I feel like, do well on NX if they had a chance or could potentially do well on NX if they had a chance. I mean, did Mass Effect do okay on the Wii U? No. I mean, it definitely didn't help that no, we only got part three as, like, if you were a Nintendo-only person, yep. there, you couldn't have played part one and part two. Yep. And that trilogy, we also didn't get, so... Nope. In fact, trilogy it was came out... To die. The, it was sent to die. And yeah, it came it out the same day. Yeah. It was unprecedented how it came... Yeah, it didn't even come out the same year. Trilogy came out the week before. And we got Darksiders. Is that an EA game? No, Darksiders is actually by uh, Nord, a Nordic game company. I forgot their name, but they just rebranded last week to THQ Nordic. THQ's back, sort of. They oh. they bought the THQ name and called themselves THQ Nordic. In fact, Darksiders 2 did well enough, mainly on the eShop, I think, that they are now porting Darksiders 1 to Wii U. It'll be mm. out this year. They're doing an enhanced edition for PS4, Xbox One, and Wii U. Interesting. <laughs> kind of cool. But what I was going to say is, like, EA has games that I feel like would do well for Nintendo. Unravel. That's like That's anyone a new game? That, yes, anyone that likes oh. Yoshi's Woolly World would like Unravel. Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare. Anyone that likes Splatoon would like Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare. That's true. It's like forgot about of, that. It's like I'm the sure. same thing. Star Wars. They make all the Star Wars games. Star Wars has a long history of Nintendo system go, like support, going all the way back to like Game Boy and Super oh, Nintendo. Pod Racers was awesome. And yeah, on N64, the Rogue Squadron series, Pod Racers. On Super Nintendo, there's Return of the Jedi, Super Return of the Jedi. On GameCube, the continuation of Rogue Squadron into Rogue Leader. Rogue Squadron 2 was one of the flagship games of the GameCube launch. Star Wars is big on Nintendo systems. EA is just like, nah. But there's that legacy there. There's that history there of Nintendo fans clicking with Star Wars. We got Lego Star Wars. Yeah, but it's not the same. (laughs) That's the only thing that uh, EA doesn't make, funny enough. (laughs) But even something like Mirror's Edge, I feel like. Like Mirror's Edge Callus could totally appeal to people like Metroid or Zelda or like more (laughs) action-y things. I'm just trying to picture that work like on the Wii U with the gamepad just like looking around. Oh, for Mirror's Edge? Yeah. Yeah, no, on Wii U, I don't think so. But for NX, why not? Like... It just seems like I all those games I just rattled off could work on a Nintendo platform, but EA's just like, nah. And then not only that, but on the Wii, 
EA made exclusives. See, this is weird because they never do this anymore, but the Wii, they actually catered to its audience and made new games, and they did well. Remember Boom Blocks? They teamed up with Steven Spielberg to his crazy physics puzzler, Boom Blocks, and it did really well. It's a multi-million seller, I believe. They then released a sequel that bombed, but that's because the bubble burst, I guess. Or they made a dancing game called Boogie. Wow. That, I don't think, did quite as well. But nonetheless, they were making new IP for Wii the because they saw the... game that was recorded the... exclusively or something through Random Nintendo. Yes. Oh, yes. Boogie was our world exclusive back when Random Nintendo was a daily news site that I ran before I knew you. Um, when I never it was told like this Nintendo? story. On, I've never told this story on the podcast. I guess I could tell it. So, this game, Boogie, first of all, it was not the best example of EA making a Wii exclusive. But the point I was going to make, and I'll talk about Boogie, was that... EA used to just cater games to the audience because they saw the potential. Now they're like, they're no, we're just not going to. Which, to their credit, they saw sales drop off so much with Wii U and so much at the end of Wii that they're probably hesitant to invest. So maybe once, once and if NX picks up Steam and becomes a system that people are actually buying, maybe then EA will do something. But yeah, it seems strange that they're going from, look at all these options to, we're not going to even touch it. We're not even going to try. But, but but the boogie story, the boogie story. So, this game Boogie, made by EA, the whole idea is you dance with the Wii Remote. It's kind of like Just Dance, but not. Like, you made these different gestures with the Wii Remote. And, um, yes, we had the World Exclusive on it because someone, I don't remember which site, might have been GameSpy, which isn't even a thing anymore, broke the uh, non-disclosure agreement and accidentally published Boogie early. Their news story announcing Boogie. So it's like, you know, two paragraphs about what Boogie is. Three paragraphs. And they published it. And I just happened to be on there at the time. And I happened to see it. And I'm like, huh, what's this? So I was going to start writing up a story. Because what how, what Nintendo used to be, for those who don't know, is um, a daily news site. I would come home from school every day in high school. And literally just write my own stories from press releases, from other news sites. The same way that... not Well, not even. Because Go Nintendo, they aggregate. Um, IGN is starting to kind of do a weird aggregation thing. Where they'll just like do a very brief summary and link to the other story too. Not in the same way of Go Nintendo, but they used IGN used to literally take a press release and sculpt it into this whole long story. And now they kinda of do like a half and half of that. Um but yeah, I used to do the whole like take a press release, rewrite in my own words completely, because I was like, oh that's how you get content when in reality as other sites have shown. Not necessarily. But um, you know, you can do just fine with aggregation. It works great and people still get their information. But yeah, so I was writing stories, and I saw the boogie thing. I started writing it up, and then I went back a little later to double-check something before I was going to publish it, and the story was gone. And, like, not just, like, the story was, like, not on their homepage. Like, you go to the URL, and the page was deleted. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So I did some Googling. EA boogie, EA Wii boogie, EA Wii dancing game, whatever, whatever. Not a single site was reporting it. And I went, well, that's funny, because here's all the details about the game. I'm not under a non-disclosure agreement. I never saw the game myself. I never played it myself. I just heard secondhand from a source that it was a thing. So, why don't I just switch a few words around, and now our you know sources have indicated to Ram Nintendo that there's this game Boogie. And sure enough, we had the world-exclusive reveal of Boogie for the Wii, because... I wasn't under anything that wouldn't let me do it, so why not do it, you know? Like, that's how stuff gets leaked, is people screw up, and then someone comes in and picks up the pieces. So I was the guy picking up the pieces. And it got us some good traffic. We got a couple thousand pages in a single day off it, which, you know, for a little site that just kind of throws in, our sources indicate there's this dancing game from EA, and people are like, who are these guys? Is this even legit? 
it gained some traction, and sure enough, about 10 days later, it was officially announced, and I was like, told And how you. did Boogie do? Not that great. I, I actually don't remember, but it was not the runaway hit that I think EA was hoping it would be. But nonetheless, Ram Nintendo had the exclusive. It was funny, because I was like, you know, so sources close to Ram Nintendo say, and by cl- and then, you know, I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, by close, I clearly mean, like, they're one browser tab away from me currently, in their window on my browser. But, uh, yeah, it was actually kind of fun. That's a sec- That's one of two, like, sort of exclusive things we broke. Another is we were one of the very first sites to have screenshots of Star Wars Episode Three, the DS game, which came out the May after the DS launch when the DS hype was still a thing. All of a sudden, I played that game. I don't exactly remember how we got those screenshots. I don't exactly remember why we had those screenshots because we never published news about screenshots we'd always publish news about like news but one of the people that worked on my site with me at the time just somehow came across them posted it and it was picked up by the force.net and like every star wars fan site you can imagine and it went it, it was super big we got like a ton of tra- i think we hit over ten thousand that day wow. like it was crazy but anyway i digress now you know that i'm sneaky and will claim we have sources when we don't um, so luckily we don't do that anymore. We are just very forward with what we know. Um, cause we don't have sources. Uh, if we had sources, we would not be so forward. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we are, but we aren't. Are we, we? We're, we're very honest people cause we have no choice in the matter. <laughs> but, but no, what I was going to say is to bring it back to EA cause we were talking about Boogie. Am I being too optimistic? That that EA should support Nintendo at this point. Like, let's be honest for a second here, because I was saying, you know, oh, they could bring all these games to Nintendo platforms and they might do well, and even like they had things like Boogie that did okay and Bloombox that did great, and why don't they do that? What's the last EA game you've owned or played? Like, do we as Nintendo fans even care? Like personally, because I keep talking in these hypotheticals, like, oh, Nintendo fans would buy these, but then again, when when EA did those, I didn't buy Boogie, I didn't buy Bloombox, I don't, I haven't. Bought an EA game. Boomblocks is definitely a game I always felt like getting, but just never did for one reason or another. So, what's the last EA game? Do you even own any? I'm like looking at your shelf here. Do you own any? Uh, We own two copies of Spore Creature. Why two? Oh, one for each you and Elvis. Yeah, that game was actually really fun. We played it beginning to end. Customizing was really cool. Fun, simple story. But um, when did that come out? Like how? Old I definitely the, like enjoyed. That's on DS, right? Yes, yeah, regular DS. That's I like definitely enjoyed playing that game probably a little more than playing the the PC version, which I did enjoy. I mean, I know I got a lot of backlash because it wasn't what was promised. Yeah, but I enjoyed it. That can't. Uh, that was more linear than the PC one, right? Oh yeah, it was. It was a like a story from beginning to end. You're just following a little. I don't know, a little creature whose brother was stolen by aliens and you're right. just trying to get him back. So, the other one is more of a open world, oh, you just start from a single cell and mm-hmm. you evolve into this sentient being that takes over planets. So the last EA game you as a Nintendo fan have oh. purchased is from eight years ago. I checked, it's from 2008. No, well, that was just the game I saw right on the oh, shelf. Okay. The last, the most recent EA game I bought was Trivial Pursuit for the Wii. A few okay. a few years ago, actually, because I, it was yeah. like a buck at Best Buy. Oh, so it wasn't even like it wasn't something you like sought out. Or no, it, we have played that. It, it, it was more like we played it a ton at college, and I was like, "Well, we need Trivial Pursuit." We that got, that group. game got a lot of mileage out of our group. Yeah, like that's why that's, that's why I figured I pick it up, and it was a buck, so why yeah. not? And I got it. I feel like I feel like you so far have proven my 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 
theory that perhaps the only perhaps one... Nintendo fans don't deserve EA Whoa. because we don't buy EA. Hit the table. Well, yeah, only one game we actually bought around the time yeah. it came out that was Spore. So that... And that was eight years ago. I just looked yeah. it up. It was 2008, like I thought. So, um, there you go. Well, I feel like I'm in the same boat because the, 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 the last, the only EA game I own out of Wii, Wii U, and 3DS, I didn't even buy. It's the 3DS version of The Sims 3, and I won it at the a The three... Herbs? No. Oh, wait, no, 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 just The Sims 3. Yeah, I forgot about The that. Herbs was uh, a DS launch title, actually. But, um, yeah, it's a 3DS version of The Sims 3. I bought, I didn't buy it. I got it at a launch event for the 3DS at a Best Buy in Hollywood. I won it somehow. Mm. I don't remember how. And I played it, and it was pretty fun. But, like, that was five years ago that the 3DS launched. I haven't looked at it. Granted, in those five years, I don't think EA's released anything else But um, for 3DS or Wii U. But, like, we, I think, I think what we just proved right here is this is why EA is not bringing systems to Nintendo. I guess I can talk all day about how great Unravel would be on NX. And and Unravel looks cool. I wish I could play Unravel. It looks very fun. Or how Garden know, Warfare I've would seen, be fun. Like, I've seen Unravel, and actually it looks really cool. But, I mean, I have access to play it if I wanted to, but right. I haven't bought it, so... So I guess you never will. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, I was saying all those things, and yet, meanwhile, I'm being a hypocrite because I don't support anything EA does. Not by choice per i mean by choice but not consciously i just i don't guess it's more of a principle thing like oh another developer is leaving it's not gonna support nintendo all that sucks but then we looked at the evidence and, oh yeah i guess it's not really a real loss which is like so it, it, can we even fault them i mean granted the more the better like i think there is opportunity because we don't represent every fan but the fact that both of us so quickly are like wait we haven't bought an ea game in at least half a decade almost a full decade yeah it, yep. it doesn't bode well. But then again, we miss out on things like Star Wars. We miss out on things like... They have the James Bond license. James Bond games are fun. We might never see one. So... Or no, I take that back. Activision now has the license. EA used to have the Bond license. So... I don't know. I'm yeah, very torn I mean, I did get EA. GoldenEye for the Wii because of the Golden Controller. Yeah, so... Yeah. yeah. Yep. But, but yeah, the so that that's the EA situation. I guess the takeaway is... Maybe cool... But would it actually help EA as a company? I don't know. Mm. But but that Pierre Moore interview actually brought up another point I thought would be kind of interesting to talk about. And that is in relation to to Gamescom. So I mentioned at the top of the show that Gamescom is going on right now over in Europe. Armacrog came out this week, huh? What did? Armacrog? Yes. I think so. Dang. I wanted that game. That was extremely random. <laughs> <laughs> is it because, like, that sounds like German, and Gamescom takes place in Germany. I don't know. It just randomly popped uh, into my head right wait, now. Wait, wait. Uh, do you, and do you know much about Gamescom? Like, it's kind of. It used to be a big deal, and now it is and I've it isn't. Always it's kind weird. of ignored it. I mean, see, it used to be. I mean, they so used to ignored it. Things it's just more like, oh, I'm on the internet. Oh, look, there's a lot of video game news popping up for some reason. Yeah, I wonder why. Like, honestly, but that's the thing. there's not even a lot this year. No, I know, but that's like even then, like the last few this last week. Um, Nintendo started posting a bunch of videos, and yeah. I was wondering, like, huh, why is this happening? I had no idea Gamescom was going on. That's because Gamescom's weird. So here's the thing. Gamescom, it's bigger than E3. It's a European E3. It's bigger than E3. It's open to the public. Its attendance numbers are upwards of half a million people every year. It's literally, like, nine times bigger than what E3 is in terms of attendance. And yet... You don't – if you didn't know it was happening right now, like you did not know it was happening right now, I wouldn't blame you because it's just dead. 
it's weird. Like, at one point, Gamescom really was a second E3. Like, everyone held press conferences there. There was hardware announcements there. I believe the PSP revision was shown there for the first so time. Ignoring the fact that a lot of things are... Or I guess that this year's Gamescom isn't, I guess, so well represented. Are conventions and at least the video game ones in Europe usually always just... Well, you said it's, it's bigger, right? So it's just... Well, it's because it's open to the public. That's why it's bigger. Oh. It's like Comic-Con. So you meant literally bigger, not... Physically bigger. Oh. Okay. Yeah, when I said nine times bigger, I meant attendance numbers. So E3 in LA, E3 a lot of companies still reserve like their big announcement for E3, or would they actually save some for Gamescom? Like, have they Gamescom? used to. They used to. Like, Gamescom... Well, Gamescom used That's to what be... That's I'm getting at. Here's yeah. what's weird about Gamescom, is they're used to... There's a different convention at the same time in a different part of Germany. I forgot what it's called. I'm drawing a blank. But then Gamescom kind of started elsewhere in Germany... And then it basically took over the other one. Like, it over... it Or it overtook the other one to the point that it took it over, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, there's this little guy that kind of came up next to it and then kept going past it, and the other one fell to the wayside. But the idea was, yes, companies would announce things there. They would not... E3 would be, like, the first shot. Gamescom would be, like, the second shot. So, like, E3 would be... Here's an example. In the Wii days, Nintendo would do their E3 blowout. So, in 2007, they showed 8. They showed, like, Mario Galaxy or, like... Donkey Kong Country Returns or whatever at E3. And then this is what they actually did one year. They announced Mario Strikers Charged at Gamescom. Or the equivalent back in the day, which I'm blanking out on the name on. Mario Strikers? Uh, no, no, no. The equivalent of Gamescom before it was Gamescom. Oh. Because they were like two competing things, like I was saying, and one kind of took over the other. But this August European Game Convention, we'll say that, was where they announced Mario Strikers Charge one year. It's where they announced Battalion Wars one year. Like, Nintendo used to have a little press conference. It was definitely smaller scale. There were only a few games announced, but they announced things. It was hmm. an event. It was like E3 Junior in terms of news. Like I said, I think Sony announced a PSP revision there one year. Like, it was enough of a thing, enough of a pull to actually announce games and have them covered in the same way E3 is just slightly smaller. Now, there is nothing. I think a total of one new game has been announced for any system, really. And that was Konami's Bizarro uh, Metal Gear uh, Survive, which I know we usually just stick to Nintendo, but wow, Metal Gear Survive is the weirdest. Why? It just, that black hole, none of it, no. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah. No, I mean, they have the name. They have the name yeah. and they're trying to milk it. But like, and I guess they have the control input set up and they have the graphics engine. They have the Fox engine. But it's just like such a cash in. The trailer is such like a fake Kojima trailer. It's so yeah. I mean, I mean, not yeah, a completely fair comparison, but it that still kind of remind me of um, it gave me the same kind of vibe as the current Resident Evil, Resident Evil Seven. Like mm-hmm. that's still like it's obviously Resident Evil is supposed to be a horror. It's a horror game, but this one um, it definitely doesn't look like as if it doesn't really look like a Resident Evil game. It just looks like. Yeah. A generic walk. It's and ex- PT like or walk around and look, yeah. It's basically Capcom going, wow, that it's PT thing Evil from name. Konami is cool. Yeah, it's his Resident Evil name right now. Yeah. Which, I mean... It's a reinvention. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but the, Mel- the thing with... Metal Gear Survive is kind of like the Federation for... It's like what Metroid Federation <laughs> Force is to Metroid. It's like a co-op-oriented, different gameplay thing that kind of uses the same controls but ki- and kind of ties into the main story but also does its own thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the... But but anyway, the point I it it's also like it kind of looks fun, but it looks nothing mm-hmm. like Mel Gear. But the point I was trying to make, Mel Gear Survivors aside, is that the way game news is now distributed, it's just so far removed from once what it once was. Like having Gamescom be a mini E three used to be a thing, and now 
you don't need to announce things at Gamescom. It's really just a place for people to go play games. And this is something Pierre Moore discussed in that interview with Eurogamer 2 that I thought was kind of interesting, is, um, like, with, he was talking within the context of how EA did their live stream at Gamescom this year. They literally, their live stream was literally that, like, a live stream. There was no news. Many people thought there'd be news. They thought they were streaming conference, but they're streaming gameplay with people playing oh, games. Treehouse. So they had, like, a FIFA, yes, it was, like, Treehouse kind of. So they had a FIFA segment. Then they switched over to a Battlefield segment. Then they switched over to some other segment. And they just played for a long time. It was basically Treehouse. Um, and a lot of people were like, what is this? This isn't a conference. Where's our news? And he thinks, and this is what Pierre Moore said when asked about it, he thinks press conferences no longer have a future, as he put it. He cited that the the medium is changing and specifically called out the fact that influencers, celebrities, these non-classic journalists are now the ones that actually get the word out about games more than journalists. Like, anyone can go find a YouTube video or a live stream, but if you want to know how the game feels, you go talk to someone on social media or you go watch someone's YouTube impressions or you go read their tweets or look at their Snapchat or whatever. And he's kind of right. Like, the idea of a press conference or these things where they need to build this elaborate stage and have all journalists in one room just to announce Metal Gear Survive or Battalion Wars or Strikers Charged, you don't really need it anymore. Like, we sort of touched on this in April when Nintendo first announced that Zelda was going to be the only game at E3. But, like, we we didn't really go that deep into it. And I think, like, now, because Gamescom used to be a thing, like, if we did our podcast in 2009, we'd have half the show dedicated to Gamescom stuff. Little tidbits about new games, little things about old games. Like, I mean, you pointed out that Nintendo was posting videos this week, but those videos were basically nothing. It's like, yeah. hey, Breath of the Wild, did you know the Temple of Time ruins are there? Yes, I did. Thank you. Uh, did you know there's this house where, like, the, a guy lives? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Like, it was, like, very, very little. Th- or yeah, like, it wasn't so much the kind yeah, it was just the frequency. Like, wait, why are they yeah. really on these little... Or, like, Color things? Splash, they announced, like, the Toad, like, little cartoon thing they're that doing. Was entertaining. Yeah, the uh, whatever, Five, I forgot what they called it. The Rangers? Ranger Five or something like that. Yeah, and it's like, oh, we're the real protagonist. We do all the heavy lifting. Like, it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. But they could launch that whenever. It just coincidentally was during Gamescom. But Gamescom's now this place where you go and play stuff and, and then those people spread the word of mouth and I think this whole idea of not needing a press conference and just announce things willy nilly and then having events just to play them I feel like per- Nintendo Direct was perhaps the first sign of that it's kind of the bridge between press conferences like of yesteryear and like this internet first approach that's now kind of taking hold because it was basically a presentation it was just they did on their own terms they just did in front of a green screen and they or a white screen and they called it a day basically and if you, you know, Nintendo could, literally Nintendo could take a half hour video and just get everyone talking about what they announced and dominate the video game news cycle and some of the mainstream news for that matter. And then if you look at what they've done since then, because, I mean, let's be honest, Nintendo Direct kind of fell to the wayside this year. Like, have, we've had, what, one? Maybe? We used to have them every, like, eight weeks. Hmm. But after I walked past, they, I, uh, you know, he was the face of it, so they kind of moved away. But if you go one step further from the press conference model and into this internet territory, you've got the live streams, like what EA did, like Treehouse Live. And those make sense for companies because they still can show a game. It just costs less. It doesn't require as high of production values. And yet they still get the same amount of word out, if not more word out, because they're showing so much more stuff. Like, look at Zelda at E3. It ended up being the single most talked about game during E3. That's not a metric. I'm just like, oh, yeah, it was. Like, literally, Twitter said it was the single most talked about game at E3. Facebook just gave Nintendo an award 
for Zelda being the most talked about upcoming game, I think, at Gamescom. Like, they have a physical wooden Facebook logo from Facebook saying, congrats, you're the most talked about game. Like, these little live streams do the trick because you got people on social media gushing about everything they see in the live stream. You got word of mouth just about how good it looks. You got the influencers who are at the events going hands-on and sharing their impressions on various platforms. They didn't need to build a single stage. They didn't need to make a single press conference. They didn't need to do you know anything like that. They literally just played the game in front of a camera and then let the influencers do their work. Like It's such a different environment. And you can go even a step further than that now. If you look at what the Pokemon company is doing with Pokemon Sun and Moon, it's like they can get Pokemon trending on social media every two weeks with a three-minute trailer mm-hmm. that they just cut in like Final Cut. Whenever they feel it necessarily. Yeah. Pokemon trending. Bang. Yeah, like... It's literally whenever they want. You, they were going on a two-week schedule, and then this week, this week, because we cussed the Pokemon on Friday, like this past Friday, they just out of nowhere like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and confirm four more Pokemon. And boom, minute and a half trailer, everyone's talking about it. Like, it's... We've reached this point where you don't need much to get people talking, and then word of mouth just takes over. It can be the littlest, tiny bit of information about a game, and if it resonates, it will go well. Press conferences just be the only way to spread that information. It was basically a company was giving it to the media to then disseminate to the public. They're like, here, this is th- these are our six games we want to talk about for the next three months. Please do so to the public and get them excited. And then the media would go, great, we got scoops, let's go do it. And then they started having like live streams of press conferences. And the media was like, okay, maybe you don't need we don't need, you don't need us as much, but still, we're the ones that write about your stuff. We're the ones that are actually going to cover it. But now you don't need them at all. You don't even need the press conference. The internet's fast enough that you just plop it in and go. I mean, granted, um, this only works with games that have established fan bases, and it only works for some things. Like, you're still going to need conferences, I think, for hardware. I mean, did any other company try anything like Nintendo Direct before Nintendo? Not, I don't think so. I mean, so. I feel like I, feel I like wouldn't it, know because I we, we mainly only follow Nintendo. In the gaming but... world, no. Outside the gaming world, I don't think they ever did quite this direct to the customer here's our president talking to you sort of thing <laughs> like they were always slickly produced or overly produced or very like you know like yeah. uh, the new ford focus with like crazy camera angles and it's like a, it's like a trailer like it but it's 20 minutes long like they probably did stuff like that different companies but i don't think anyone did quite what nintendo did that was different for sure the closest is maybe back in the day when i think was it walt disney that used to have like the fireside chats as if he was the u.s president but he's talking about like what disney's doing at disneyland or whatever like those videos of him showing you the model of disneyland and oh, or him walking around the animator's office yeah, exactly that was i think the closest and i would not be surprised if nintendo direct was modeled after exactly that but i mean nintendo emulates a lot of disney in a lot of ways but, uh, but yeah, my point is, like, some conferences are going to have to happen. I don't th- And I suspect Pierre Moore was looking at the death of the press conference from, like, a software perspective, because that's where he works. But, you know, it's hard for Nintendo to drip feed, say, NX information through 30-second social media videos and expect it to then be on mainstream news sites that same day. Like, you need some sort of cohesive package. So I think we're still going to see a big NX conference. We're already seeing Sony do a big uh, PlayStation 4 Neo conference on September 7th, so... For some stuff, conferences are going to go on, but this idea that every game deserves to be announced at a conference, you don't need an elaborate stage to show off games anymore. Social media is that stage now. Like, it, that's it. They're, the idea that E3 matters beyond just getting hands-on and, and influence, having influencers spread the word. The idea that comms, uh, Gamescom is anything more than a demo, public demo opportunity. Yeah, th- those days are dead, I think. I think people are more spot on. 
So I somehow managed to talk about Gamescom about as long as the day after it was news. <laughs> but I just find it really interesting that we're at this like transition point. It's not just video games either. It's every industry. Like auto show is not a uh, thing anymore. Cars are getting announced less and less at auto shows. I feel like. It depends on the auto show. But, like, a company can very easily... Like, Tesla, they don't go to the auto shows. They just, when they feel like it, do a live stream of... Actually, a press conference. But um, but they just do a live stream from their from their design studio here in Hawthorne, which is, like, 15 minutes from where both of us live. But I wish I knew more about other industries so I could have a comparison point. Because yeah. we go to Anime Expo and Comic-Con for many years now. Yep. And I do know that they do announce some things here and there. Like, brand new shows, new animes, but for the most part, I mean, I have no idea what the regular announcement schedule is. Like, if it's just sprinkled throughout the year, or... Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I, mean, know. I don't even know when Cartoon Network normally, did, like, well, announces they, well, shows. Well, TV's I know different. TV's very different. They have upfronts. No, yeah, they have those pilots, or... Well, not even pilots, cartoons have so those. what happens is with TV is there's a week where every single network back-to-back... It's basically E3 for TV. That's every network, TV? they move... It's, it's not sweeps. It falls through. It's called upfronts. And they they are upfront about what they're bringing next year, and so they all have all the celebrities trek out to New York, and you basically jump from network to network over the course of a week, multiple networks a day, and you sit in these essentially press conferences, and they just walk through what the shows are and show trailers, and then in tandem with that, they upload to public um, websites. Now, upfronts themselves are mainly for advertisers; they're not even that public facing. They might live stream them because they can, but the idea is to tell advertisers this is what's coming in the fall. These are the shows you should invest in. Here's why. Like, these are shows you should put your ad in the breaks of. Then they had the public-facing trailers they just toss on YouTube, much like Pokemon can just toss a trailer on YouTube. So you might see people live blog it or that sort of thing, but, you know, do you need someone to live blog the Son of Zorn announcement that Jason Sudeikis is starring as the voice of Zorn when you can just watch the trailer yourself as a fan and figure that out 10 seconds in when it says on the screen, Jason Sudeikis as the voice of Zorn or whatever. Like, gaming, my, my, the point I'm getting at is those conferences exist because they serve a monetary purpose to a specific audience. The stuff that the public sees is no different than how video games are treating their announcements these days. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a shift. The internet's so fast, there's no need for that sort of thing. Like, I mean, occasionally you do have special events. D23, Disney uses to announce a lot of stuff. Obviously, Comic-Con, they announce stuff at, but those are very fan-catered. Those are going after the influencers who will then spread the word on social media. It's all about those influencers. That's the thing. I mean, like, Zelda, I was saying, like, Zelda, that they relied so much on influencers. And even in a way, like, we kind of, granted, we don't have the biggest audience in the world, but we have a decent enough chunk of multiple hundreds of people that listen. Thank you to all of you that do. And, you know, when I came back from E3, and I was like, here's what's great about Zelda. I'm going to talk about it for half an hour. That was doing the influencer thing that Nintendo wanted. They gave me a chance to play the game. I played the game. I can't. I turned around and I gushed about it. They played you like a fool. They did. And I tweeted about it. And I tweeted that video of how long the line was and how the demand is so high. And that was marketing for them. They don't need a press conference to say Zelda's cool. They can have me tweeting a tweet that got a thousand retweets showing the line takes 15 seconds at super fast high speed to walk through. Like, you know, that time lapse I did? Like, they... There's no why invest in a stage show when you have that and you have hundreds of people doing that. Mm-hmm. So it it it's kind of it sucks because I love the theatrics of the press conferences. I always thought well, that was I mean, fun. Who doesn't? It's yeah, fun. It's, but they're entertaining to watch. Well, yeah, we used to get up and I, watch them at, back in the college days. I take it back. Um, Sometimes they're barely. I wouldn't say they're 
fun to watch for the most part. I, I love watching them. I Nintendo, love N- Nintendo Directs are definitely, I feel like, they're, they've always been way more entertaining. Um, yeah. Press conferences, true. I feel like the only reason I ever enjoy them is just because of the the potential for an amazing announcement yeah. that just looms over the entire time. So I'm definitely like hooked on, like, I can't take my eyes off the screen the entire time. But then when it's over... It's like you could breathe again, and you're like, "All right, that was um, that was mediocre." That's or, the other thing about press conferences is if Nintendo drops a three minute, if Pokemon Company drops a three minute trailer promoting Sun and Moon's new Pokemon, and all the Pokemon suck, people will vent about it a little and then get over it. But if Nintendo does an hour long press conference and they pour all his heart and soul into it, and it becomes like the 2009 one where it was We Fit and Sean White snowboarding and all these things, and no one and everyone's like, and Ravi drums with Wii music, when when that happens. It taints Nintendo's PR for a lot, like Nintendo's image for a long part of that year, because it's like this was their best foot forward. Here's what everyone thought they would do. Why aren't they doing it? You can get over a bad trailer pretty quick. You can bypass that bad PR fast. You it is a lot harder to do that when you put together an hour long stage show, essentially saying this is all, everything. This we're pouring our heart out to you, and everyone's like, "No, nah, I don't really like your heart this year." Like it's so even from that perspective, it makes sense to not do the press conference, which kind of addresses your thing. Where like, you know, yeah. it might. Yeah, I will say though, I go to press conference a lot because when I went to the one in two thousand six where they showed off the Wii and all its games for the first time, that was cool. Like it was, it was in the Kodak Theater, now the Dolby Theater. That's where the Oscars are. It was full. The theater was full. I Nintendo's never done a show that big and hasn't done a show that big since. But it was completely booked. And they did a like they had choreography with stuff. It was really cool. Like that's experience that I'm sad is gone because it's it's really cool to be able to go see something like that. Like to be part of a console reveal in that way. It's just really fun. So it is a bummer to see him go, but I can't say I'm surprised. Um, yeah, is it what it is? Yeah, I guess so. But I did mention Pokemon, and I did mention how they dropped trailers with new Ooh, Pokemon a long time ago, and yeah. Yeah, but my but I think Pokemon's the best example of how social media is all you need. Um, because Sun and Moon details continue to come out at a pretty regular rate, and they continue to blow up on social media. And while we didn't get any radical new gameplay this time around, we did get some story elements, and we did get a look at the dark side of Pokemon. So, um, yeah, I guess we can talk about that a bit. Why not? Hmm. So, first up, story detail. Team Skull is the evil team in Pokemon Sun and Moon. And the reason I say it like that is because a little while ago, you and I had a conversation on this very show about how cool it could be to do a different evil team for once. They're in Hawaii. They're really running with the Hawaiian theme. What if it was about climate change? What if it was about, like, some ancient Hawaiian mythology? Maybe some sort of god or something. I know we were saying, like, kind of... Like, kind of how they have totems, like, like pseudo-gym leaders before you yeah. fight the actual gym leaders. What if, like, the evil team is just Pokemon? Yeah. And then they're not even people. Yeah, what if, what if like, this evil team was gonna, I don't know, maybe uh, harness volcanoes. Or maybe, yeah, maybe not har- have an evil team. But you know what they're gonna do instead? I'm gonna read you the description for Team Skull from the official Sun and Moon website, because I, it sums up my complaint as best as possible. Team Skull is, and I quote, a group of ruffians known as Team Skull cause a lot of trouble. They steal other people's Pokemon, mess up the trial sites, and delight in all kinds of evil deeds. That's it. So it's as generic no plot. as you can get. There's no plot to make Pokemon more powerful. There's no plot for world domination. There's no plot to like harness the secret strength of Pokemon when they evolve, like I think Team Rocket originally was doing. Instead, they are literally ruffians. So they're just 
people that are out and about just because they can you know, be. Which, in a way, this is isn't kind of a refresher. I yeah. mean, it's always some sort of world domination with these people. <laughs> I don't know what, why that's really I mean, why is it with these people and this world domination? Like, yeah, they don't want to destroy the earth. They want to take over the continent. They want to control some ancient Pokemon. Yeah. It's kind of nice to have some people that have more realistic goals. They're just... <laughs> they're, 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 they just harass you. They're just thugs. They're millennials. They understand what the real world is like. They know their social security is going to run out before they get to that I mean, age. honestly... So they're going to try and Some of the Pokemon reveal that I had, like, that teddy bear that could kill you with a hug. Yeah. I mean, it's not like people have worse things to worry about. So maybe having these is just a nuisance... Just make those Pokemon even harder to deal with. Like, yeah. like sorry guys, like I'm trying to not die from this what a sandcastle. But then you have these ruffians that just like, I don't know. Make also, me... you know, up until they announced this Pokemon, they sent this stuff. I'm trying not to die from this sandcastle. It's like absurd. adding, it's like adding salt to a wound. Yeah. That's what they are. And there's already plenty of salt in and around those islands because they're in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I actually the that's a nice spin on it. I actually think the last... no, honestly, like yeah, like it's. I think the lack of a team, though, isn't necessarily a bad thing because maybe it means it's a side story, like you're kind of alluding to. Maybe there are bigger fish to fry in the plot for Sun and Moon, and yeah. you don't need a team. It's just there because, like, there's got to be some crime somewhere. Yeah, I mean, they're just... It's some random you have some to battle. Conflict. Yeah, there has to be some angry people you battle for a, more than just because. So this And, I mean, be honestly, that description does sound like they're kind of being downplayed it. a little. I mean, Team Plant... Plasma, like, they wanted to take Pokemon because they thought Pokemon battling was wrong. They had this whole right. organization and cult or whatever. Them. Yeah, like, <laughs> and then them, yeah, like, Ruby and Sapphire, they wanted to get Kyogre and Groudon to fight, or I don't know, to yeah. control the weather, uh, some crazy stuff. Like, pretty much, like, they, yeah, they all had crazy, crazy goals, and this one is... Um, yeah, I yeah, mean, maybe it's not it's bad. Like, I just thought it was really... And, I mean, the, the two leaders, like... uh Plumera and what's the dude's name? Guzma. There we go. Those two look kind of cool. Like, they're not a typical, like, Team Rocket head up. It's, they're not like Giovanni or like anything like that where they're just like. Yeah, they look pretty normal, which was yeah. like, I mean, Team um, team Flare was, I mean, they were what they were, but they were kind of weird in their suits and they they danced all Egyptian y. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like it is kind of nice that they're, and they're led by a woman for once. Yeah. Progress in the Pokemon world. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, but, I, I mean, I guess we'll see what I mean, they're. No, no, they don't seem as over the top as this one. It, it feels nice to get some villains that aren't yes too ridiculous. Like, I just can't get over the fact they're that they're just referred thugs. to as ruffians. Yeah, they're just like yeah. really. But on the other hand, um, <laughs> dang team school, get off my lawn. That just seems like the kind of thing they would do. Yeah, seriously, loitering. Like, yeah, they're loitering. They're they're the ones that are like stomping on people's fresh flowers yeah. <laughs> like things like that um on the other hand while while maybe for some team skulls a little bit of a downer i think the i think we can agree that the alolan forms of all the first gen pokemon continue to look pretty awesome they showed i mean okay hold on not your backup Alo, alolan uh meowth is really boring he's just blue and has a funny look on his face but marowak looks pretty awesome I like Raichu. I like that Raichu's not part psychic, but the thing I think is really cool about Raichu is the fact that he's riding his tail like a surfboard. That is a very random to do callback to Pokemon Stadium One, where anytime you surf with Raichu, he rode his tail. Mm. Like I, I forgot it even happened. I saw someone on point out on Twitter, but it was just like, wow, that they're really good at keeping things in canon like that. That yeah. is impressive. Um, but yeah, so that those are kind of cool. I mean, did they? 
what do you are, do you um, think they're going the wrong direction with these or do you think it's I don't know I mean it, they definitely seem like the the replacements of megas, megas. and uh, why well, still oh no the replacement of megas are the Z guys the Z things the Z ring things oh in terms of design yeah never mind oh yeah because I mean yeah. these are new Pokemon the... yeah yeah, yeah. I, I gotcha no, yeah. no nothing is really replacing the the mega that was like that mechanic is way too different than yeah. Z moves. You just meant in terms of design of old, oh, yeah. old did, becoming did, new. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're, they're cool. Yeah. No, nothing, to com- nothing to complain or right. um, holy praise except for the right tree. The right tree is pretty cool. The right tree is pretty awesome. Yeah, and the Mar- he also the Mar- looks very well rounded. Like, literally, they rounded him out. It looks good. Yeah, <laughs> like, also, the Marowak. The Marowak looks. Marowak looks, yeah. Yeah. Marowak looks super cool. Um, But yeah, there's some new Pokemon revealed too, and I'd say that was a bit more of a mixed bag. They're just kind of some names. Yeah, 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 they revealed it to the American audience, and like some of them, some of them are great, some are whatever. I don't know why uh, Turtonator gets his own trailer. I really don't. He doesn't unless he's like relevant to the plot. That was super. It's like here's four Pokemon, here's five Pokemon, here's a ugly turtle that spits fire. It's like all right, and it's not Turtonator's fault. I mean, he's based off of a turtle that's yeah already kind of ugly. Yeah. But um. But why do you guys have a trailer? What's so special about him? Yeah. But know. but the one I really wanted to talk about, the reason I went and even went into the what the new Pokemon are, are there are now two sandcastles, dark, demented sandcastles, and on the surface, I said on the show before, I like Pokemon that look like real animal. I like the connection to a real animal world that you can kind of draw, you know. Yeah, this is like an alternate to our own world. That's that's a self-discovery I made about my own Pokemon opinions last episode. But, but, while the Sandcastles look on the surface like they scream we're out of ideas, their backstories, I think, more than make up for their absurd look. Um, have you read their bios, like their Pokedex bios on the yep. Pokemon website? So there's Sandygast and there's Palosand. Palosand, by the way, is a ridiculous name because it's either a mispronunciation of Pile of Sand, which is what he is, or it's a mispronunciation of palace sand, which is also what he is. He is a sand castle, a palace of sand. Anyway, uh, if Sandy Gas is the first form, and what happens with him is he's a shovel on his head. And if a child, or yeah, if you grab the shovel, he will take control of you. He can control humans. And I'm just going to read this. A Sandy Gas uses its power to manipulate children into gathering sand to increase the size of its body. So let's just pause there for a minute. Your kid's at the beach. There's some sand on the ground and a shovel. And he grabs the shovel. And next thing you know, your kid's under the mind control of a pile of sand. And it will take and it will use that kid to better itself. Okay, that's a little weird. That's concerning. But how about when it evolves into palo sand? It will then trick adults to build itself into a sandcastle. And that's where things get crazy. Palosan loves the vitality of Pokemon and drags small Pokemon into its body so it can steal their life force. Its sand vortex swallows them up in a heartbeat. Pokemon dragged into Palosan leave traces of their ill will behind. It's thought that this negative energy may be the starting port of new Sandygast. So, sorry, your kid actually isn't being controlled by a pile of sand. It's being controlled by the carcass of or something of a dead Pokemon yeah, dead that had a shovel in its head and it's now getting your kid to build itself up so then the kid can come back to you and then you as the parent get mind tricked into building that sand pile into a castle so it can then devour some other Pokemon and trick some other person's kid. That is dark. Aren't these considered it's actually <laughs> not that dark compared to some of their other stuff. No, yeah, I did I did some digging. So 
I mean, there was a neogasm. I mean, Driftblim. I mean, yes. that just like grabs kids and takes them Here's away. Here's the exact it. wording. I I have a list. Here's the exact wording of drift of Driftloon from yeah. from the Pokedex. From Diamond and Pearl. It is whispered that any child who mistakes Driftloon for a balloon and holds onto it could go could wind up missing. So yes, it'll literally grab your child and float away. Now I I don't know. Kidnapping's bad, but also mind control yeah, in a way that makes like... your kid then make get you mind controlled, and then the two of you help yeah, perpetuate I'm... the mind controlling. That's pretty bad too. Well, yeah, I mean that's bad. But I think you stay on hunger. Pretty <laughs> much true. just, I mean, it's just. Oh wait, no, no, no! Nature. I forgot. No, not entirely. If a sandy gas loses its shovel, it may put up a tree branch, a flag, or another item in its place. These sandy gas will wander around in search of their own shovels. Their tunnel-like mouth can suck the vitality from people and Pokemon. So if you're not careful and they lose their shovel and they put a tree branch there and you walk by and you're like, what's that? And you look in what looks like just a hole. Maybe a crab was in the hole. Maybe a crabby was in the hole. No, that's its life force sucking hole. And you're now a dead carcass of a human, much like the Pokemon is. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> like what? But yeah, so all this made me do, uh, I found this thread on Neogaf. Mm-hmm. I tweeted it out on Friday, but uh, we're going to link to it in the show notes, like the blog post or something too. You want to your mask. That yes. One is you, you guys me. listening need to go read this Neogaf thread. I pulled some of the quotes from it, like the ones I just read. But basically, you think Pokemon's innocent. You think it's for kids. And then you read some of these Pokedex interesting. You realize it's demented and dark and twisted and reflective of real nature to some extent. But then also really creepy and more than yeah, it should be. Yeah, because I mean, yes. Like, it's, it's you, nice, you it's mentioned nice. Yamas, uh, Yamasks. Um, yeah. So they're ghosts that have faces under their face. Those faces are of humans. Those are dead humans. <laughs> Those are dead people faces. That, that, that's it. That's that's their. Yeah. I, there's a better wording for it, but that, yeah, pretty much yeah. like the Pokemon, like oh, it said that when someone dies, like they pretty much turn into a yeah, mask and like it's like a face, so, like the last face they made when they died, and yep. sometimes they'll look at it and cry, only to then be captured by like a little kid to be forced to battle against their. So world. so just to be clear here, these Pokemon are actually <laughs> dead humans. Like <laughs> just think about that. So if you die in the Pokemon world and end up as a yeah, mask, your life is gonna keep going. Or how about Lampert? Oh, so Lampert. Again, I'm just going to read these because you can't word these any better. Yeah, usually mostly ghost Pokemon. The spirit it absorbs fuels its baleful fire. It hangs around hospitals waiting for people to pass on. So this Pokemon is literally just like po- wait, just sitting in a hospital like, oh, they're about to die. I'll mm. float over there. It's like a cool. vulture. Yeah, it's a vulture. But of humans. Like, it's just like, I mean, vultures would do the same. And even Pokemon within like the Pokemon bubble, like within themselves are kind of violent. Like Gorbis. When it spots prey, this Pokemon, it starts its thin mouth into the prey's body and drains the prey of its body fluid. It doesn't even eat the prey. It just sucks the prey inside out. So you just mm. have an empty carcass of a Pokemon floating in the water. I mean, again, real fish do this too. But it's just weird that this kid-friendly franchise gets kind of dark. I think the darkest, perhaps, though, is Cubone. Everyone knows the Cubone story. But someone on um, Neogaf compiled how it was described in yellow in Pokemon Stam and then in Emerald. And it gets progressively more depressing each time. So in yellow, Cubone is described as wearing the skull of its deceased mother. We all know that. It cry, Its cries echo inside the skull and come out as a sad melody. That's kind of depressing. Then in Stadium, always wears the skull of its deceased mother on its head and never shows its face. It cries mournfully in the moonlight. That's pretty depressing. But how about an Emerald? It pines for the mother it will never see again. Seeing a likeness of its mother in the full moon, it cries. The stains on the skull it wears are from its tears. Why do they keep digging deeper? Just let... Just, it's sad already. Like, what is... This is a game for kids. Or 
kid-friendly. And then there's, like, this d deep, depressing Cubone story. And how about the fact that um, the Alolan form of Marowak looks thrilled to be wearing that skull? What's wrong with that Pokemon? Why is he happy that his mom is dead? Like, I, I mean, really even regular weird. Marowak just looks... He, he looks, looks more pissed. Yeah, he just than, looks angry, yeah. Yeah, but, like, the Marowak, the Alolan, Mar Mar Alolan Marowak looks legit, like, excited. <laughs> yeah, it looks legit excited to be around. Like, excited to be what he is. It's just like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I if I was wearing my mom's skull, I'd never be like, sweet, I'm wearing my mom's skull, and my flame is, and I have a flaming bone. This is great. Like, I don't know. It, it's weird. So, that's my soapbox about dramatic Pokemon. I mean... You, I think you, you were starting to say something before I went down this road of reading them all off. And well, I don't know that I, I really like that the developers of Pokemon decided to give, kind of like a, kind of a reminder that like, yeah, like we live, they live in the Pokemon world. That's cool and awesome, but don't forget, we all live we, in a Pokemon world. Like we do, Pokemon. like, like as crazy as the game, we do realize that these creatures can be dangerous yeah. and they do have real life consequences. So, I don't know. It's just, it, honestly, I mean, it don't. It almost makes like, oh, sure, like, I could have a team of Pokemon protect myself, but just imagine if just a skilled person that's to follow life of crime, like, all these criminals in the game that are usually pretty incompetent and don't really cause anything, but, yeah. I mean, the right hands, uh... And honestly, it if, is... if, if, if you think our world can have, like, some pretty terrible things, just imagine the equivalent people with yeah. Pokemon. With a, with a Marowak that's glad it's wearing its dead mean... mother's skull, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's, it's, um, it's, it honestly makes sense they're doing this, because... It goes back to the idea that, at least how I've always viewed Pokemon, is it's this alternate world. So, of course, there's going to be Pokemon that eat each other. Of course, there's going to be ones with weird backstories. Didn't think they'd do the one where they poach dead bodies from hospitals. Or wear the faces of dead humans. But, nonetheless, like, it's not that far-fetched compared to some weird stuff that animals in our world do, or people in our world do, like you were yeah, saying. Nature so, is nature. Yeah, nature is nature. So, it's, kind, it's cool that this exists, but it's one of those things that's just, like, slightly under the surface of Pokemon, and you never really notice it. And then they release artwork of Palisand literally killing a Pikachu. And you're like, oh yeah, Pokemon's kind of twisted. Yep. I mean, if you ever want to see a fish art of a dead Pikachu, I mean, those, it's those, out those, now. I mean yeah, those are X's, not little spinny yeah, circles. Those, Pokemon that... supposedly never died, but that Pikachu is for sure dead. Yeah. If it was if it was fainted, it would have little also, dizzy symbols. Yeah. So. And also, um, in case people didn't pick up on it, Palisand is literally a sand trap. As is Sandy, uh, the, the, his preform. A sand trap normally is where the ball gets stuck in golf, but they had a little fun with the concept and literally made a sand trap. Yeah. Yep. I see what they did there. Um, so yeah, one thing that's less dark in the Pokemon world as of late, though, is Pokemon Go. That was a horrible transition, but I'm sticking with it. So um, in a way, it almost feels like Niantic heard our pleas last episode because mere days, I think it was like literally two days after we posted the last episode up the battery saver mode that his complaint was missing was suddenly back in and they also announced they're revamping the nearby feature and it's already starting and it actually is kind of cool and it seems like they're addressing concerns like pokemon go is going down this rabbit hole of despair because they kept removing things and breaking things and now it's rebounding so there's hope yet so i don't know if you've read up on the new nearby feature but it actually seems like a pretty good improvement we're getting it in two phases Everyone currently has what's called sightings, which replaces the nearby menu, and it sticks these Pokemon next to grass icons on your screen, and that indicates they're out in the wild somewhere. You're still going to have to walk in a radius of, like, I don't know, 700 meters, or whatever the radius is. You're still going to have to walk in that radius, but the app will actually update this list every 10 seconds, so as soon as a Pokemon's gone, it will be off your sightings radar. Previously, ever since Pokemon Go was out, the Pokemon would linger beyond when it actually left, or despawned, 
and you would never know, and you'd be looking for Scyther for an hour, and it never showed up, and that happened to me once. But anyway, then there's uh, the new nearby feature, which is Pokestop base, and this is actually kind of cool. So how it's going to work is your, your nearby screen is now going to be split between nearby and sightings, and nearby will actually show a Pokestop with a photo of that Pokestop and the Pokemon that's next to it, and if you press it on the nearby screen... It'll, do, it'll zoom out to like an overhead view of your map and show you where you are in relation to that Pokestop, like how to get to that Pokestop. Then you go over there, and the Pokestop will now have a ring around it. And as long as your character's ring and its ring overlap, you will at some point probably come across that Pokemon. You're in the range of that Pokemon. So instead of just having the three-step, the three-footprint system where it's like, oh, somewhere close, but not that close, but maybe a little closer now there's a Pokemon, they're saying, okay, if you go to these Pokestops, you will find this Pokemon. It sounds almost like, I don't know, the, the footprint system just seemed more, it seemed a little funner. This just seems like it but, kind of takes the, but that's the what sightings exploration. Are. That's what sightings are. They just split it down the middle. There's now two things. It used to be they're all one thing. So half the time, like when I'm at the office and I turn on Pokemon Go, it'd be like, there's a Machop nearby. And I'd be like, great. And he's at the Pokestop or within the range of the Pokestop. Now it's going hey, if you want some Pokemon, we'll show you how to get some Pokemon, but by the way, there's also these four other Pokemon that are just sightings, and you still need to do the same while walking around trying to explore thing. It's kind of like how in the real Pokemon games, you're told certain Pokemon can be found along certain routes, and then others you just kind of stumble across. That's the best comparison I can think of. But yes, it, it, does, it is a different feel than before, but it seems like one now at least make it easier to track, especially since if you choose to go a Pokemon that's nearby and you press it and it does the zoom out, if the Pokemon then leaves that spot, it'll actually alert you so you don't have to keep walking there for no reason. And you still, when you're at the Pokestop, you still need to kind of walk around a bit. It's just a more refined area. Mm. So it's basically whittling in. It's basically saying the one-step or no-step system that was in place before, like when you saw one of those two, you knew you were very close, that's not going to be a Pokestop. Anything that's two or three steps is now just going to be called a sighting and will be kind of vague like it was before. They just split it down the middle and made them separate but equally clear, I would say. Hmm. So I, I think it's kind of cool. And it does um, it does help a lot for people that live in urban areas, but those in rural areas with no Pokestops, I'm not sure how they're ever going to find half this Pokemon, but that, oh well. Uh, but yeah, right now they're only beta testing that new nearby thing in San Francisco, but they do have sightings for everyone. And I think I think they really did two, not to do two things right here. Is one, they actually made a noble improvement for once which is nice. And two, they're not hiding the thing. Like, the fact that they actually were up front, when you update the apps, like, we're trying different UIs, you may see it. And then, you know, uh, people in San Francisco immediately saw it and could talk about it and share it and sites started reporting on it. And, you know, they weren't, like, burying it somewhere in there or changing a feature and hoping no one would notice or anything like that. They also are actually starting to ban cheaters, which is something else that it's about time. Because it was getting out of hand. We talked about bots before, but, like, People that were like level 35 trainers with names like Bot1 and Bot2 and they go take over a gym with a Dragonite that has like a 3,000 CP and you'd never be able to beat it and they're just outright banning those people. So after the downer of Pokemon Go problems just a few weeks ago, I feel like they're turning the ship around and that's good. It's very good actually and very critical, not just because they want to keep us fans happy, but they got to keep the money flowing. And I say that because in July... Uh, Pokemon Go has what was known as a halo effect, meaning that its existence has actually raised the profile of Pokemon enough to boost sales of other Pokemon things in significant ways. So, for example, 
In Japan, McDonald's Japanese branch saw profits rise 27% in July. That is the first time they've been up in almost two years, and it was because, according to McDonald's Japan itself, there's a Pokemon Go partnership that got people in the stores, and they also had Pokemon Happy Meal toys. And they were both going on in July. So Pokemon saved McDonald's in Japan. Wow. All, the halo effect of Pokemon Go. There's also here in the States, there's reports that um, online sales of licensed Pokemon merchandise rose by 105%. They more than doubled in July across all the different online retailers. And, you know, that's stuff from like Hasbro and Scholastic and all those big companies. And they all went up because of Pokemon Go. And actually, next Pokemon Go, Nintendo themselves saw software and hardware jump significantly year over year in July. Which brings us to July MPD numbers as part of a Jason mm. Sales Corner. That is that. I'm going to ruin it by saying this, but that whole Pokemon Go into the Halo effect, into MPD numbers, is probably the smoothest transition we've had all year. So I accept um, gifts and well dones and pats on the back and handshakes. Feel free to send them my way. I don't know how you're going to send me a pat on the back, but you can figure it out. Uh, but no, MPD, like I said, uh, Nintendo saw huge jumps in July. and it was, They themselves admit it was lar- largely due to Pokemon Go. In fact, the jumps were so big that they led the 3DS to be the number one selling hardware in July. It outsold Xbox One. It outsold PS4. It, Something outsold the PS4? It outsold, Xbox One outsold PS4 that, that month, too, interestingly wow. enough. But uh, what happened? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know why they... Oh, because um, the price drop of Xbox One leading into the Xbox One S coming out. Yeah. They dropped the price on the old model. Uh, so yeah, 3DS sales, hardware sales were up 80% year over year, meaning you know 80% higher July 2016 than July 2015. In fact, this helped the 2DS pass 2 million units sold life to date in the US alone, which isn't huge, but you know, 2DS is picking up steam finally, which is good. And while Nintendo didn't release hard numbers for... Um, the year-over-year 80% uh, jump. We do have numbers from July of 2015, and I did some quick math, and it translates to about 187,000 3DSs being sold in July of this year. It's a respectable number. It's obviously not the biggest number, but it's certainly better than what the Wii U sold in July, which uh, MPD leaked data, if legit, points close, 25,000 units. Now, that, that's like, oh, it's 25,000. It's gone lower. But that is a 47% drop compared to July of 2015. So, not good. Dropped by almost half. Mm-hmm. Not not good. Uh, now, Nintendo Software, on the other hand, did do well. And again, that's because of the Pokemon Go boost. Here, These these numbers kind of surprised me. So, Nintendo actually put out a press release. MPD doesn't put out charts anymore to the public. It's only through the companies that do press releases and through leaks. So, we have to kind of piece together things weirdly. But Nintendo put out a press release, and they said that Pokemon uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, which just as a reminder came out in November of 2014, saw their sales go up by 80% in July of 2016 compared to July of 2015, again because of Pokemon Go. This means that Pokemon Omega Ruby, again, a game that came out in 2014, was number 8 on the top 10 of all the best sellers in July for video games. Pokemon uh, Alpha Sapphire came in number 10 in the top 10. Again, a game that came out a year and a half ago. Back in the top 10. Both versions. Equally impressive, Pokemon X and Y, which, as a reminder, came out in October 2013. So we're talking two and a half years ago. Almost three years ago. 
its year-over-year sales rose by nearly 200% in July. They went all the way up from basically selling nothing to the number 16 and the number 22 slots, all because on the bestseller list, all because of Pokemon Go. Nintendo didn't give numbers for these, like actual hard numbers, but um, when you're talking about, you know, small numbers probably to begin with given how old these games are, I imagine the percentage jumps don't mean we're suddenly selling millions of copies. It's probably a couple extra hundred thousand or tens of thousands. They, they do show that Pokemon Go does in fact raise the profile of Pokemon, and that in turn is in fact boosting sales of Nintendo's own dedicated devices and games, and that, in case you forgot, is exactly what Nintendo said it wants its own smartphone games to do when they first announced plans of making smartphone games March of last year. I was specifically said the idea is these games will get people to go buy our dedicated consoles and our dedicated games, and Pokemon just demonstrated the idea, at least on some level, does work. So safe to assume that Tomodachi Life didn't really get much of a boost from Mitomo? No, but they didn't directly tie them in the way that Pokemon is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you wouldn't really know Tomodachi Life exactly. existed from exactly. Mitomo. And, you know, it's actually, um, it isn't just like the mainline Pokemon games are getting boosted either. I don't know what the boost was necessarily, but uh, Namco Bandai or Bandai Namco confirmed that Pokemon Torment has now sold over a million copies worldwide since it came out in March. Pretty good for a Pokemon fighting game spinoff. And Pokemon Shuffle for 3DS has now passed 6 million downloads. Again, that one's free, so it's not quite the uh, comparable thing. But nonetheless, even these other Pokemon games are now hitting milestones. So, so it seems to be working. But the question does become... Can Nintendo now do what Pokemon Go did for Pokemon with its own self-developed mobile games? Fire Emblem and Animal Crossing, they're both coming out on smartphones this fall. Both are popular franchises, but they're not they're they're undoubtedly not gonna be Pokemon Go popular. Like the fact of the matter is, Go is kind of a weird one off phenomenon, I think. Like Well yeah, I mean I, everyone realizes For starters that. you have to be Pokemon. Yeah. I mean and, Not and, many things are Pokemon. Yeah, and very few, very few apps. Many things try. Receive but... five Guinness Book of World Record records. Oh. Like, Pokemon Go is officially now, uh, has the record for most revenue grossed by a mobile game its first month, most downloaded game in its first month, and multiple, two awards for uh, holding the top position in a record number of charts around the world at any given time. Also the fastest game to make a, a million dollars, or hundred um, $100 million. Really? Yes. Wow. Fastest mobile game. So, there's no way that Nintendo's going to pull that off with Fire Emblem or with Animal Crossing. There is no way that any developer can pull that off with anything. But if you follow this logic of Pokemon Go being bigger than you expect, that would mean, in theory, uh, the Halo effect is bigger than you expect. In theory, that would mean that what we see with sales boosts from Pokemon, Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem can't touch, no matter how big or small those Pokemon sales boosts were. But, to throw a wrench into this, or to throw a wrinkle into this, I guess a wrench would work too, um, Pokemon Go is isolated from the other Pokemon. One of the things Nintendo made very clear when they announced their mobile games is their own apps are going to be, are going to kind of create like a bridge with Nintendo's dedicated hardware and games through my Nintendo. The apps are almost ads for the mainline entries in these series as much as they are self-contained apps or games. So that link, in theory, could give them a Halo effect as strong, if not stronger, at least in my mind, than what we saw with Pokemon. Like, if if you have Animal Crossing, well, if you have Pokemon Go, you're like, cool, I caught my Pokemon in this game, this makes me want to maybe revisit the original Pokemon Blue. I'll go get a 3DS and download on Virtual Console. Great. 
But if you have an Animal Crossing, and whatever the concept of Animal Crossing iOS or Android is, you get items, and those items can somehow be relayed back into your main game, that might be incentive for you to do something more with the main game or pick up the main game. Or if you get some sort of gameplay element that you want to experience more of and there's a deeper version of that in the main game, like one-to-one direct connection and your progress of whatever you do in the app will transfer into the main game, that could get you to go get the main game. Pokemon Go doesn't do that. You don't get to move your Pokemon over or anything like that. So if it can if it can boost sales without doing any sort of one-to-one transfer fancy link bridge connection thing, in theory, Nintendo's games could do better. I mean, we'll find out this fall. But it does look like Nintendo's already priming the pump a bit. At Gamescom, uh, Nintendo Australia announced that its region, at least, is getting new Fire Emblem Fates Amiibo bundles. Conquest is going to come with Marth. Birthright's going to come with Ike. Both launch right at the start of that fall release window that Nintendo promised Fire Emblem would come in. They, they both launch September 22nd. Fall starts, you know, right around there. So it seems like it's almost like, oh, hey, look at this great deal. You can get a Fire Emblem that comes with a figurine of the character you love in the app. It works, like, it, it definitely feels like it's a strategic move. Separate from that, we've also got what's coming to Animal Crossing New Leaf. Uh, we didn't even talk about this, but it happened at Comic-Con, and there's a software update coming to Animal Crossing that adds amiibo support both for figurines and cards. Uh, if you use the Animal card, you can invite a character into your town, like, to live there, not just to visit. You can literally dictate who moves to your town using Animal Crossing character Ooh, cards. That's kind of interesting. While the figurines from other Animal... Or from non-Animal Crossing, you know, like Splatoon, uh, Smash, whatever, will unlock new in-game items. Hmm. But guess when this update for Animal Crossing New Leaf, a four-year-old game, is coming out? Um, Fall. Sorry, oh. I didn't give you a chance. <laughs> guess, guess the date. Guess the date. Um, November... Whatever, Thursday... <laughs> Third Thursday of November. Okay, sure. So the... Okay, we'll go with that. By then, potentially, or maybe on that same day, I'm pretty sure the Animal Crossing app will also be available. And how much do you want to bet that whatever this software update has in it will also include a new My Nintendo hook-in that will in some way work with the new app? They are definitely setting up both these games to be more accessible and more ready for new people that may be transferring in off of smartphones. Shame that I don't have a new 3DS, so I can't even take advantage of that even if I wanted to. Yeah, you can. Oh. Get the NFC adapter for 20 bucks. Too Boom, bad. done. I don't want to get the NFC adapter well, just for Animal Crossing. Well, I got yourself to blame. Yep, I do. But uh, but yeah, I, and not only that, the thing mm-hmm. with Animal Crossing that's kind of interesting is um, they also just added it as a Nintendo Select, like here in the States. So that means it's going to begin retailing for 20 bucks. Which means it's even more accessible to people who may be, um, you know, playing the app down the road. And actually, along with Animal Crossing, they also added Tomodachi Life. Is them maybe hoping one day people will connect it with Matomo and be like, oh, oh hey. This I, looks I, like I a Matomo. This. Yeah, so they're adding that for 20 bucks. And you 10... mean they can't transfer the me already made in Matomo? Unless they update it, they won't. But um, Nintendo Dogs and Cats is also getting a second lease on life as well, a $20 they do a select. QR code. Uh, yeah, they, oh, yeah, you could. You can already do that, yeah. yeah. Um... What else? Oh yeah, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon is now going to be a twenty dollars game. Surprisingly, Lego City Undercover: The Chase Begins is going to be a Nintendo Select at twenty bucks. Mm. Then on Wii, you got Wind Waker HD, Nintendo Land, and again, surprisingly, Lego City Undercover, all going to be twenty bucks going forward with new packaging and reprints and everything. It really feels like Nintendo's trying to fill the sales void from their somewhat empty twenty sixteen by leaning on these old titles and mark- remarketing them and reintroducing them. Like some of these selects are definitely evergreens. Nintendogs and Cats, though, was never huge the first time around compared to the original. 
Legacy on Wii U way underperformed the first time around. And now they're kind of like, well, we give them a second lease on life, maybe sell more if we make them cheaper. And at the same time, we give a nice little entry point for the games that have companion mobile apps if we put them in the same package deal of Nintendo Selects that the others are in. So there's this whole slate of games that are now more accessible than ever that people can kind of ease their way into Nintendo world with. And it would also explain why um, Australia is suddenly getting a Smash Bros. 3DS bundle that includes an Amiibo Samus. Hmm. Old game, they why can not? remarket it, they probably have Samus's left over, might as well. It's all this idea of, let's take what we already have and make money off that and use the app as marketing, which is why I think the Halo effect could work. I mean, in fact, they actually just announced um, new 3DS bundles here in the U.S., they come with Mario 3D Land pre-installed. They're like the third bundle to do this. They come with cool Mario faceplates. It's like the third bundle to do this. But the, I guess it boils down to you make money where you can, how you can with what you got. And that's kind of what I think Nintendo's doing the rest of the year. They'll have a few games. Paper Mario, Metroid, Federation Force, Pokemon Sunny Moon, obviously. But yeah, it's a lot of them mixing the Halo effect, hopefully, of their app with just what's in their backlogs. So before we wrap up Jason's Sales Corner, there is, uh, it is worth knowing one other thing, and that is that the best sellers list was actually pretty Nintendo-dominant. They had a good month outside of Pokemon 2. Uh, or as well, I should say. Monster Hunter Generations, top selling game in July, like I was saying earlier in the show. Very impressive when you consider that when it first came to America, it was very niche, Monster Hunter. Yep. Now, uh, Nintendo... Never thought I'd be a fan. Yeah, now Nintendo and Capcom have a number one bestseller. They did actually put out hard numbers, which is normal but leaks do suggest it sold about 165,000 physical copies we don't know what digital did but this number of physical copies to put in, pers- put in perspective is smaller than what the last monster hunter on 3ds did monster hunter 4 ultimate managed to sell in its debut month 195,000 so we're about 30,000 behind but that debut was alongside the new 3ds xl hardware that's that was the launch of that and it was one of the launch games so it does give Ultimate an unfair advantage. If you look at Generations on its own, you kind of realize, wow, that's actually pretty good. Especially when you consider how quiet July is for gaming. Like, the fact that in a month that's usually dead and people don't go... For whatever reason, companies don't release games. That seems dumb to me. It seems like it'd be a good blockbuster period, kind of like how movies do it. But for whatever reason, they don't. But people are clearly still buying games and they're buying Monster Hunter, which is kind of nice for, for uh, Capcom. And along with Monster Hunter and Pokemon, um, Nintendo also mentioned that Minecraft, this is the first, July was the first full month that the physical Wii U edition was available. That's a lot of qualifiers, but um, it was number mm-hmm. six on the charts, Minecraft as a whole. Uh, 160,000 units, according to leaks. We don't know how much of that was Wii U, but Wii U sales, software sales were flat year over year, July to July. Last year they had Splatoon, and that thing was doing quite well. This year, hardware was down, like I said, 40, uh, 47%. And yet, Wii U software sales were flat. So clearly, Minecraft, it, it's called out by Nintendo. It's number six on the charts. Clearly, a lot, of, at least a good number of those sales were of the Wii U edition, which is super, kind of funny that uh, well, a Microsoft game is... Yeah, it has the Mario stuff, but still, a Microsoft game is holding its own. All right. On Nintendo, I mean. All right. But lastly, I did want to point out, not everything was great, though, for Nintendo. Um, Kirby Planet Robobot. Just missed the top 10. Nintendo bragged it came in the number 11 spot, which during a busy month is a big deal because that means, you know, all the high sellers, it's a high seller too, it must be. But in a dead month like July, not so much. Uh, no specific numbers given by Nintendo, but leaks say under 50,000 units in July, 
which is not that great. Uh, even worse, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, less than 35,000 units in July, according to leaks, which suggests it already peaked. And the problem is when it peaked, when it launched in June, it peaked also in under six digits. Well, I mean, numbers. if you think so, Monster Hunter is niche. Exactly. Yeah. And Monster Hunter is not niche anymore. That's the thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, that does it for news. Um, we did want to touch on, for the Metroid 30th anniversary, a little bit about that. Because Nintendo doesn't care about Metroid. They put out Matomo shirts. And a Matomo hey, pin. They released Metroid Prime Federation Force. But they haven't done anything for any anniversary. Yeah, you're right. I'm being hard. I actually had Federation Force. I should be a little I mean, easier on them. But I feel like it's something to either go over. I mean, it's the it's the whole game in the Metroid universe. I, I mean, know. sure, it's not what people wanted initially, but and the game is fun. And I mean, been, we'll ta- I'll be talk. I'll be giving full impressions next episode. But... And overall, I mean, like based on our impression from Comic Con and from what I'm sure like you'll play later on, like it's been really well received. Uh, yeah. For the most part. Yeah, I'm happy with it, yeah. Like I said, I'll have full impressions, but Nintendo, classic Metroid, like, Mario gets anniversary stuff, Zelda gets anniversary stuff, Pokemon gets anniversary stuff, Metroid gets a digital shirt in Mitomo. So we want to do it a bit of justice. It came out on August 6, 1986 in Japan, the original Metroid NES. So we thought we, for the third anniversary, would talk a bit about our favorite Metroids. So I don't know if you want to go first on that. I need to think about it. You didn't think about it, or you need to think about it? No, I need to think about it. Okay, I'll go first. It's a tough I, decision. I have two. Metroid, I'm going to cheat. I have two. Metroid is definitely um, one of my favorite Nintendo properties. Now, to be fair, I did not play a Metroid game until 2004 when Metroid... Or, sorry, 2002, when Metroid Prime and Metroid Fusion were, were released on that same day in November, November 18th. And, mm. um, yeah, so I'm coming into this late. I never played Super Metroid. didn't play Metroid... Uh, Return of Samus played. I played the original NES one now, like retroactively. But um, of all the Metroids, my favorite again, I have two are the Primes. So I like the original Metroid Prime and I like Metroid Prime Hunters. And I know Hunters is gonna be one where like, that's not true Metroid, but it was fun. So I'll start with the original Prime. In two thousand two, the original Prime was like really unique. There was nothing like it. It was a first-person shooter, but it wasn't run-and-gun. It was this experience where you truly felt isolated. Like, you really felt isolated, and it did such a good job crafting this world you're in. Like, little things like Samus's reflection in the visor, and it, it really just you got this sense that you're really alone, and you're really this person who's exploring this planet, and it's moody and mysterious and dark, and you're learning about it through, like... You can either do the main story, you can do like those secondary scans of things and kind of choose how much you want to know and how much you want to learn or how you want to play a little. Which, one, for a Nintendo game was kind of unheard of at the time. And two, for any game, period, it was kind of unheard of at the time. Like, that was... I never played anything like it. Like, I, it was such a cool experience. I mean, there, of course, were a few issues with it, like jumping. But, like, that was always a little weird. Like, it never felt quite right. But... I thought it was just such a cool game, and there, it, like, I never, I know I said this already, but I really never played anything like it. It was kind of like one of those mind-bending, like, whoa, games can do stuff like this? Like, the way that you, like, seamlessly go room to room, and it, it yeah. So that that's why Prime, Prime opened me up to the Metroid franchise. That's what got me really into it. And I think even, honestly, it holds up. Like, you go back and play it, and it doesn't feel all that dated. It's still... I gra- graphics wise maybe a little but it looked really good at the time it still looks pretty good the gameplay holds up pretty well it's yeah it's just a solid game and for Metroid fans I mean now that I've retroactively known about Metroid it did such a good job of combining 
Metroid staples with this new perspective, this new idea, and this like new 3D take on like isolation. In that, you know, you still had to go get new items to access new parts and then go to, you know, kind of backtrack Metroidvania style through other things, but now different parts are accessible and all that. And it just, it really felt like they just took Metroid, turned it like onto a Z axis, and then put you inside Samus. Like they did, it's hard. It's hard for a game to transition that smoothly, and somehow they pulled it off very, very well and in a very unique way. So that that is why I like Metroid Prime. I realize that's kind of a shallow reason, but it, you know, it's. I think I hit the main points. I, is, I would you add anything? Is that one of your favorites? What would you add if anything? Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, before I say that, like, I'm within your exact same. I'm in your exact same boat where I didn't play a Metroid game until Metroid Prime and Metroid Fusion. Right. And then went back and played Metro 2 and all the other filled in the gaps and tried playing, oh, God, NES Metroid. Just can't I do it. I did play it. It's, I didn't finish it, but I got decent. Yeah, I, decent I hated it. it. It was just kind of the whole, um, you can't, and I, I can't enjoy NES games without that nostalgia that never existed because yeah. it was before a time. They just feel like, right, right. like these experiments. It's just dated to you. Yeah. But, it's too much. But no, yeah, like Metroid Prime, oh, my God. Yeah, that game... Um, yeah, that, that's definitely one of my favorite Metroid games. And, I mean, pretty much I, I agree with everything you said. Um, the only thing um, that um, I would probably just add is um, when you said the seamless transition with doors. Yeah, when those doors didn't want to open, like, it's awesome. Yeah. It, it's awesome yeah. that they don't, that you never see anything loading, that you don't see a loading screen. I guess you could consider the elevator rides loading screens. Yeah. But pretty much um, when the other side of the door is loading, you don't really think about the fact that it's loading. It just feels like, oh, man, the door is stuck. Oh, man, the spice pirates are right behind me. I don't want to fight them because I'm low on health. Yeah. I don't want to get through. So you're just blasting away at the door, and then it opens, and then you feel like you can like start breathing again. I think the word I was looking for for it, the game's just immersive in a way that I don't think any Nintendo game has been yeah, for, prior. Like, I don't mean immersive in the sense like, oh, hey, I'm having fun playing Mario. Look at me. I could play for hours on end. Or, oh, man, Ocarina of Time is like... I'm really into this. I mean, like, literally, it felt like you were in Metroid. It felt like you were Samus. Seeing, like, the visor effects, like, the rain hit it, or the ice on top of it, or the, like, smog, the no, steam yeah, it's, and the it's, fire. It's one of the few it, games where, yeah, 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 yeah Emergence is no better more than that. You just felt really immersed more so than any Zelda game I've ever played. Any, right. just the world building, just the, yeah, the seamless transition between everything. Which yeah, which, really which also cool. ties into what I was saying about like the plot, where like you choose how much you want to learn, much like in real life. Okay, there could be... A, if you're stuck on a spaceship one day, there will be a captain's log. Do you want to read it? That's up to you. Yeah. The game doesn't force it down your throat. Like, yeah, it, the scanning. It, yeah, it could the be, scanning aspect. It could be as action It could be as deep as you want it to be. Yeah. And I remember replaying that game so many times that I revisited in college and I just tried speedrunning it, I think... The fastest I was able to beat it was around four hours or something like that. No, yeah. It was That's around, pretty good. It was around that time. Yeah, I was just able... I mean, I had the whole thing memorized. It was the kind of thing where as you're... I would, like, start shooting bullets that would, like, be falling down from somewhere. But, I don't know. I, I never really had too much trouble with the jumping, but that was just... I don't know. I think the, the jumping wasn't, like, difficult. It's just, like, when you come from something like Mario where Nintendo's perfected jumping and camera angles when, and how cameras work when you jump, to go into that first-person jump... And kind of be like, oh, I guess I'm looking down, but it's kind of, you can't see it, because if you're looking down, you're not looking ahead, because it's all first person. That's just, it's a little yeah, I, I think, um, I kind of remember, it's, it's weird, but I sort of remember my mentality when I first, like, when, when all the first few jumps happened, and I just remember thinking, like, alright, I'm just gonna 
treat this game like this. I'm just going to jump and assume the platform is going to be there when I land. Yeah. So I just, from that point on, I just kind of never really thought about, like, where my feet are. And it just kind of worked. I just never really right. had to look it wasn't, down. Yeah, actually, actually, it wasn't difficult. It just was different. Yeah, but I don't know, it was cool. And it was challenging and it was definitely fun. Yeah. I mean, Mitchell Fusion was definitely, like, really close, but I don't know. Metroid Prime definitely beat yeah, it Yeah, Prime tops. I think Fusion for me, like, I liked Fusion a lot, but I think the thing with Fusion that kind of bothered me was, like, man, it really narrated a lot. It did. Like, a lot. It was kind of the... Like, uh, like the computer. It, it, it was a scanning that wasn't optional, yeah. but... Well, it's, it, which kind of almost... It doesn't kill the immersion, but, I mean, it's hard to be as immersive in a Game Boy it, it was, game, but... Honestly... It, it definitely made it feel more gamey unless, like, you're in that world. Yeah, but at the same time, it did... It was a nice compliment to Matrix Prime because oh, yeah, yeah. you had they, they were great. Oh yeah, because I mean you had the pick as pick as much narrative as you want in Matrix Prime, whereas this one you actually get some sort of so you you're kind of yeah. forced some background on Samus. I mean you could go through all the Matrix Prime without really learning anything about her. True. Except knowing that she's very capable of a lot of things on her own. But then this one it's like, alright, like it actually makes me like the character Samus more. Yeah. But but that, yeah. I did mention I also that I also like Metroid Prime Hunters a lot, which I know is a bit more of a controversial one. Um, so there are problems with Hunters. I'll be honest. Um, some of the bounty hunters' designs are kind of weird. The controls can be kind of weird. I mean, using a touchscreen as you're aiming and you have to use that silly thumb pad, or you actually have to hold a stylus. And if you're left-handed like, like me, you really, I really can like only the stylus use controls. The I always found those. They work. They work, but they're right. def- but sometimes they're a little too fast, almost like. Mm-hmm. They made it. They made it so you could do quick spin arounds. Like that's why the the stylus controls were as quick as they were for aiming. But sometimes I feel like I'd swipe, and I just go way beyond. Like I know you can adjust sensitivity and everything, but it just like it felt like the sweet spot was sometimes hard to hit. But even with that, even with this game made the interesting, is very easy to adapt to. Also. Ah, yes, yes. But even with like you could argue a kind of odd plot and everything. It just did a lot right as well. Like I feel like it was a spinoff and it was treated as such, but the multiplayer was really fun. It's a really good showcase for Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. It was cool. On, on DS. On DS. It had is... voice chat in the lobbies, which was like, whoa, at the time. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. It was like the, mul- I think the multiplayer is mainly what clicked with me. Like single player was cool. And, you know, it did feel like you were playing Metroid in your hands. Like it, that was impressive. Even with the DS graphics, it still, it didn't feel too like, janky or anything it worked and then you could go on like go online actually play multiplayer like basically death matches at all these different levels that are inspired by a single player and it was cool almost for the same reason that the original metroid prime was and that nintendo didn't do things like that before like it was so different for nintendo and they nailed so much of it that as i at least was willing to overlook the flaws with it which were there for sure and it became one of my favorite metroid games just because i played it so much online and like me and my friend in high school would play it a lot online like that so maybe it's the nostalgia of that that makes me like it so much but it was just really cool to see him take the metroid formula shrink it down to three to a three yes to ds and then say you know what we're gonna make our version of halo basically or not quite halo but we're gonna make our version of like a fast-paced sci-fi shooter multiplayer shooter that's online we're just gonna do it with a touchscreen on a ds and that's like only nintendo would even attempt that and only nintendo would pull off like 90 percent of it like they did so I don't, I don't even know if I like it for it being a great game as much as I like it for they went out and tried it and it worked and it was addicting. It was like fun. it's also Metro Prime Pinball. But definitely another game that I also like to speedrun. Yeah. 
was really fun. Yeah. Just that demo line. And honestly, even though the... Um, the first hunt. Oh, first hunt. I remember that. That got me so hyped when I got the DS and it came with first hunt. And yeah. I played it. I'm like, oh my God, this is the future. This is the future right here. Like 3D, two screen thing makes sense. Like the touch screen is cool. This is awesome. I used to have the thumb pad attached to my DS specifically to play through first hunt over and over and over. But uh, Metro Prime Pinball as well is really good. Yeah, it's another really great game. It's another spinoff, but man, it... Na- I never thought pinball game would be able to nail Metroid, but... It's the only pinball... It's the only spin-off pinball game I've ever had really? from Nintendo. I never had the Pokemon ones. Oh, you, you never had? I thought you never had fun. Dude, Pokemon pinball... I also never really enjoyed pinball too much, but that's, like, the only one I actually bothered to, like, try to 100% or, like, get a... Beat the whole thing. Pokemon Pinball, the original. I haven't played the uh, Game Boy Advance one, but the Ruby Sapphire one, but the original Pokemon pinballs were, like, one of my favorite Game Boy games. It's wow. so good. It's just really addicting. But... But yeah, so I mean, I, I we always sort of touched on Metroid, and I feel like we were talking in very vague terms, but we wanted to pay it its dues, oh, given yeah. that Nintendo barely is. I mean, as much as I like Metroid Prime, I definitely like Metroid Prime 2 a lot more. That's definitely yeah, so, my so all-time favorite Metroid Prime. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm definitely one of those people, I guess, that... I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. I just like, um, Did you like Metroid Prime 2 more just because it was... Yeah, I did. I like the... It was just a lot harder. It was a more complex game, and it just had... It was Metroid Prime, but more. It had everything Metroid Prime did, but more. It even had multiplayer mode. Yep. That I was actually really like the multiplayer. Hunter's Beats. My, my brother... Hunter's Oh, was, no, of yeah. course. Yeah, of course it does. It had Kandon. Like, Kandon's one of my favorite Metroid, Metroid characters of all time. Didn't it have a guy named Stylus? Silex. Silex, whose arm looked like a stylus. Mm, yeah, yeah, he's the one with the long arm. No, you mean Trace. Oh yeah, it was Trace, which is also which like, also um, yeah. yeah. yeah he, do you remember he that was a, he era? Was, he, he was a sniper. Yeah. Do you remember that era of Nintendo it was really cool. where every single game had to have a DS pun or a reference to a stylus or a reference to tracing or a reference to drawing or a reference to pens? Like there was like a four year mm. chunk. Touching there. was good. Touching is good. There was a four. There was a four year chunk there where every single Nintendo game was like, you know, Dual Strike or. Uh, something like that or like had weird little references to drawing or like touch or it's it really funny how if you go look back at the DS era they kept reminding you oh yeah this thing has a touch screen and dual screens in case you forgot I mean I guess it's better than calling everything 64 in the N64 days but still kind of funny but anyway you were saying yeah. about Echoes sorry that's a tangent no I mean just love the music I mean the music in part 1 was phenomenal also but the music in 2 was just really great and just love all the bosses. I just really enjoyed that game from beginning to end. And while, I mean, Metro Prime 1 gets, I guess, some points for being, for doing it first, but for me, that never really gives it, gives it, yeah, like, being first never gives it an automatic push to be the yeah. best. Like, every Smash Bros. that comes out is better. After the other, I always completely abandon the other one. If you were to ask me if I like Melee, I would probably just say no. I mean, I probably did at one point, but now I just dislike right. Melee. Like, yeah. I don't find it fun to play. I find it fun to watch, but I would... Yeah, it's just old. I don't look back, basically. Yeah. There's some exceptions, but... but yeah, the thing with Metroid Prime 1, for me at least, is I feel like it was, that's, it was less that's about... Like, yeah, that, that one is still... Yeah, it holds up. Well, I was going to say, that, the thing with that one for me, because you were saying, like, oh, like, it, just because it's first doesn't mean it's best necessary, and the, you know, Echoes builds on that. True. But for I think it's for me just the not even the shot yeah the shot the surprise of wow this is a nintendo game wow they're doing all these things i've never seen this is so immersive i've never seen a game do stuff like this 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 and this 
that almost trumps the the building on the familiar that Echoes or even Prime 3 did. And, you know, Echoes, I know lots of people, not lots of people, but some people consider, like, Echoes the weakest of the trilogy. I don't necessarily agree. I think Echoes was good on So Dark Samus looks freaking cool. And that's freaking, for anyone who isn't sure what I said, that is freaking... Just saying. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, part three was great. Part three was really, cool. And the and motion really controls it, felt pretty immersive. I feel but... the... Some of the... The game structure with the bosses and the later part of the game kind of hurt it. And there was also... A lot of that isolation was lost because yeah. you were always tagging along with someone or there was always... Some communicate. I don't know. It was yeah. The problem with it was really different. It was a very different game. It was really fun, but it was very different. I did love the controls, and I love that the controls were later adapted to part one and part two. Yes, with trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Part three. I at first I thought was cool. It's like, oh hey, I'm like in the ship with the Galactic Federation and everything. Oh, this is neat. Like this is oh they're talking to me. Oh that guy's like saying things. But yeah, then I was like, wait a minute, this is not what Metro is all about. It just felt. I mean, it it felt like a necessary game. It felt like it rounded out. Yes, it it more the universe. Like it was more world building, which is what it was. Yeah, and honestly, other M, I don't mind other M. I liked other M. Same thing. Not the best Metro Mm -hmm. game, but I liked it for what it was. I know. I I I mean, granted, we don't need the guys like remember me when he lifts his visor, and we probably don't need her. It's definitely one of those games that weird narrative. I I love the fact that it tried to do. Like 2D Metroid, yeah. but in 3D. It was just really cool. I thought cool. it worked like, pretty it, well. Yeah, it, it looked awesome. The story was... was odd, but I thought the gameplay worked yeah. pretty well. Yep, I, yeah. I totally agree. But, yeah, so, we, I, yeah, Metroid, you deserve Whoa. more than what Nintendo gave You deserve, Metroid Sorry. deserves more than what Nintendo gave it, and I feel like we basically gave it a, a pat on the back <laughs> for its anniversary. So, you go, Metroid, you do you. I'm excited to play Federation Force. But before Federation Force, we have one more thing. Or before the end of the episode, which then leads to Federation Force, we have one more thing to discuss. And that is the namesake of the episode, Monster Hunter Generations. You are a Monster Hunter fan. You have been playing Generations. How is it? Um, so my impressions so far, I'm only... It sounds weird. Like I'm, I think right now like I'm over four hours in. I wish I had more time to play. I actually had planned to play it on my... Plan- Oh, yeah, on my trip to Japan because yeah. 26 hours both ways. Because you went through Taiwan. Traveling. But I ended up leaving my luggage. Well, yeah, the case with the games in the luggage compartment on the bottom of the plane. So I only had Rhythm Heaven with me. But Rhythm Heaven is a good way to start because this is literally the mega mix of Monster Hunter. It's not a full sequel. And it just kind of celebrates everything that made Monster Hunter great. It's by just grabbing a bunch of the best monsters and... The, the, oh man, it, it grabbed one of the, the and, and, does it have multiple towns? Well, oh, wait, I was gonna say, yeah, it, it grabbed a bunch of the best monsters and then one that a lot of people just hate. Oh, but yeah, all it, the best and one of the worst, <laughs> yeah. But it's pretty much just a celebration of it. It just, if you like Monster Hunter, if you've played Monster Hunter 4, Monster Hunter 3, then you pretty much know exactly to expect what to expect, but it just builds on it. It doesn't have a ton of new things as far as monsters. It has some new monsters, but for the most part, a lot of it will be familiar. But what they do add is really cool. Like, you can finally play as the cats or your feline partner, the Palicos. sidekicks. Yep. And they introduce something called Hunter Arts and Guild Arts. So you pretty much pick one of the four classes and you get different abilities that look at first like they're 
crazy over-the-top moves. You could like, have like, a cool dodge or a really, really strong attack. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, kind of how, like, every time they they add just something small that just adds way more depth than you would expect it to. But something that, I guess, some of you looking at the game on the surface level probably won't really see or really want to dive into. Because at the end of the day, this is a game that's definitely more for the people that have been following the series a lot. Generation it's, a, it's actually a pretty good place to start if you haven't played a, when any of them just definitely jump on Generations because it's just a like I said it's kind of like the Mega Mix it just right. has some of the best of everything and no swimming which I guess just died in Monster Hunter 3 and just never came back well swimming was awkward yeah or, like fighting because I played the demo for 3 with you multiple times Wii U and 3DS and it's just like weird like it just didn't feel it's hard to fight in a you're free floating. It's hard to fight a monster when you're free floating. Oh yeah, they they tried. They it pretty much got replaced with freeform climbing and a lot of jumping. Right. And they just kind of went crazy in this one with it. But that's just a really fun game, and it just looks really good on the 3DS, which just makes you wish they had done a console one so you could be in HD. Well, with NX, they could do both. I know. Yeah, that's the, that's exciting. But no, like, I mean, uh, for, for like over four hours can beat a whole game but this is only like just scratching the surface there's still like many more monsters discovered and it's the same system you start with a basic leather armor one of each weapon you go kill the monster um get its bones and build better weapons and armor use that to kill a bigger monster to build better weapons and armor to kill an even bigger monster and so on and so forth and of course there's the co-op Oh, yeah, the game definitely lives on co-op. Like, this game is at its best when playing with friends or, yeah, with friends or even strangers. And the nice thing is that when you go online, you can create your own, you can create your own hub and you can special, and you can specify exactly what you're going to be doing in that hub. If you're going to be hunting a certain monster, if you want to just look for certain items, mm-hmm. or if you're just Hunting whatever, like whatever people join and they can pick what they hunt, what they want to hunt. So is Metroid Prime Federation Force basically the Metroid version of Monster Hunter? It's a similar idea where you go, you pick your class, you pick like what you do, are you the healer, you the whatever, whatever, and then together you go and like well, complete missions instead of, instead of hunting monsters, you're hunting space pirates and solving puzzles. Sort I guess of, it's more of Four Swords than Monster Hunter. Yeah, because because th- this game. You could just think of it as a boss rush mode. There's no right. like go from A to point A to point B. It's you just, just chase a, something down. And yeah, it's it. just one world, and you find the monster and you just well at it until it dies. And the monster doesn't have a health bar, so you have to go by its animations. Which all these monsters are just brilliantly animated. They feel like these actual living creatures, and it's just awesome. And I guess if you don't like to see animals in pain, then this game is probably not for you because you will be beating on these monsters. You will occasionally cut off their tail to salvage what the tail can give you, break off their horns, and eventually they'll start to limp, and that's how you know that they're really close to to dying, and then you can set your trap and not kill them, or you could just kill them right. and salvage their body parts to make right. weapons and armor. So uh, it's it's really fun, and just the amount of customization is great and also just the dlc costumes are great and creepy i've been seeing some of those and around. creepy because you could turn your cat into toon link 
And it's just kind it of looks weird. weird. Yeah. I saw a screenshot and I was like, is this real? Because <laughs> it, it looks like Toon Link is in a weird trance where he just thinks he's a cat. And you're like, hey, Toon Link, snap out of it. But he's just meowing, meowing at you. And what's best is that, well, I don't know, I guess one of my favorite parts is just that the cats in this game, they all talk in puns. And very, like, <laughs> I guess you could they say... They should write I, subtitles. I, I guess you could say very forced puns, but they're they're just funny. Um, they 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 want to stick meow into almost every word and purr and wow, it's it's great. I, and I, they've perfect and they've perfected the art of these puns. The writers of the game have. Yeah, I would definitely say so. They've had a lot of practice with this one. But yeah, this game is really fun. You could literally play only online and never even touch the single player, and you'll still have hundreds of hours of playtime, like at your disposal. So. That is the thing with Monster Hunter. They these games are lengthy. Yeah, right? like it, I, I never actually played a. It's full literally one, but. It's, it, well. It's as long as you want to make it. If you want to just beat the story, you can beat the story in like thirty hours or less. It's like your average RPG. It's like it's it's like an RPG where instead of beating a certain number of monsters and leveling up, you have to level yourself up by getting that armor and equipping right. it you don't have to equip it but then you're probably not going to be able to kill many monsters or you'll probably die really fast right which is a really interesting form of progression you have to you uh, you have to take initiative and actually make the game progress the um, game is what you make of it yeah it, lit- it literally is which is really interesting so well, I'd, I'd recommend it if you've ever been curious about the game i mean there's they always have demos for it so i'd recommend trying the demos just so you could the demos are more of a showcase of how the game controls. The demos are definitely not a good showcase of how the game is structured because half the game is definitely hunting, but the other half is your prep work and building that knowledge of the monsters. What weapon do you want to take? Because every single weapon plays way different from the other. If you want to do kind of a hack and slash kind of game, you you could go with the dual blades. If you want to do a more methodical, slow-paced game, you could go with the giant sword. If you want to be support or even learn an instrument for that matter, 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 you could use the the hunting horn, which is the it's kind of like a weird guitar trumpet thing that mm-hmm. depending on the combination that you press, the button combination that you press, you could heal, power up, increase the stamina of your partners, and I don't know. There's just so much variety in it, and I've only in the past I've only played as the dual blades and the. Um, and the insect glaive, which is like a staff that shoots mm-hmm. out an insect. And those are really fun. I like fast-paced weapons. And this time around, I switched to the shield and sword. And it definitely plays a lot different. And it, I don't know, it, that's what's so great about it. It feels like a different game almost. It's like picking up a different character in Smash Brothers. Right, right. Like, just because you can play as, like, I would play as Bowser, but I don't know if I tried to pick up Fox, it's like a completely different thing. Right, like, you know the concept, but yeah. the experience itself is very varied. Yep, so... Like I said, I recommend it. It's fun. Play Monster Hunter. Hunt monsters. Number one best selling game in July. Yeah. Capcom <laughs> is honorable. I don't know. I love Capcom right now. Between that and Ace Attorney. Out September 8th, Ace Attorney 6, for those who don't know. Yep. I mean, yeah, I guess all of a sudden I really love Capcom right now. When we have Three Fighter. Yeah. I mean, we've always. They you know, just start a random Resident, Capcom pa- podcast. Resident Evil hasn't let us down yet. I mean, we've played every single one, so. Well. Four up, uh, yeah. Four up. We yeah. played so every we multiplayer played every, one. We played every up. co-op one. New Age, yeah. <laughs> New, New Age, Age Resident Evil, Evil, which is kind of how a lot of people went. But 
You feel yeah. it went downhill from there, but we thought it, like, nah, yeah. it just kept getting better. <laughs> yeah, you guys are wrong, but yeah, well, sounds like so. It sounds like Monster Hunter is deserving of being number one best selling game. Yeah, I mean, given how much like Nintendo's poured into it to help Capcom with marketing and stuff, it yeah, yeah I mean, it's only a matter of time before it did that well. But it's good yeah. that there's a good game behind it. No, yeah, definitely, and I guess the fact that it's this cavalcade of all. Of the old Monster Hunter stuff and some new stuff mm. explains why it was able to be released in one year instead of this. Cause between three. Yeah, because between 2D and 4, there was quite the gap. I don't remember how long it was. It's maybe like three it was, years. Yeah, three years, and then this years. one was released one year later, so... Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, I guess it's easier to do a best of. It is running on the 4 Ultimate engine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe they're sense. saving their next one for an X. This maybe it's just a stopgap. They need some more money. Yeah, well, no one's going to turn away free money. <laughs> Yep. But yeah, it sounds like a good game, if that's your thing. I mean, for me, it's always been, like, too, I don't know, too open, perhaps. But it sounds like, it sounds like if you were to ever get into Monster yeah, Hunter, this would be it, the one to do. Yeah, and it always helps. It's definitely one of those games that really benefits from having someone that's played a lot of it. Yeah, um, as you're, like, yeah, Sherpa. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need that. Because I had a friend um, that got me on to it, and he walked me through a lot of the stuff. Because there's a ton of information. You could get lost in the wikis of this game <laughs> but if you just take it slow just pick one weapon that you find fun and just go with it then it shouldn't be too bad but right. yeah having that knowledgeable knowledgeable friend that can just tell you the answer right away definitely helps like oh what's weak against this monster blah 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 right right like stuff that yeah because there's no there's some guides in the game that kind of tell you but not really that's kind of the that's the one part of the franchise that's always kind of needed more Rounding out the tutorials and the getting started is very slow paced in the beginning, but once you're done gathering flowers and stuff mm-hmm. and killing some tiny monsters, then you're getting into the real stuff. Right, right. Yep. So, yeah, that's my impressions. And that's and that's this episode. Yeah. Um, we'll be back in <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks' time on September fourth with impressions of Metroid Prime Federation Force and of course all the latest news. Uh, I'll keep this short and sweet. To make sure you guys don't miss that episode, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play Music, whatever app of podcastery you choose to use. And you can also follow us on Twitter, at Nintendo to make sure you don't miss anything from the site, be it episodes or content or whatever it may be. Um, you can also, if you so choose, follow us individually on Twitter. I am JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-R-R-O underscore O. We tend to talk about video games and things on Twitter, so it's kind of relevant to your interest, perhaps. But, um, yeah, that pretty much does it. So we'll be back, like I said, on September 4th. And until then... I don't know. I don't either. So we'll just see you on September 4th. I feel like a shruggy emoji right there.